0: Welcome back to episode 28 of the Split the Scene podcast. Uh, It's going to be a fun episode for sure, no matter how it comes out, because it might be a little weird, to be honest with you. But we do have an exciting special twist to our showdown this week that I'll get to later. Uh, But right now we're going to get right onto football because like Josh mentioned last week and centered his showdown around free agency is officially here as of this recording. And even prior to it, the tampering period, was a crazy, crazy. um, I I don't want to say mess, but just series of events and uh, we have a lot to talk about. And uh, I don't think there's anywhere that I'd rather start than with the new England Patriots franchise and uh, their acquisition of, um, half the market <laughs> of players. Uh, no, not not half the market, but they definitely picked up a lot of names. Uh, the ones that I want to definitely touch on first off is uh, they went and got the two best tight end uh, free agents out there. Yes, they went and signed both of the best tight end prospects out there. Two long-standing deals, Hunter Henry and John Smith. Now, I don't remember one of these two will tell you but i don't remember the exact i don't have in front of me the exact contract details on the pricing but the one thing that i wanted to make sure everyone understands is the patriots have glocked up over 50 million of guaranteed money to two tight ends over the next three years which i think is the
1: craziest thing of all time dom um, was th- does that sound crazy I, to you? no because i predicted both them to go to new england i cre- predicted both those correctly and i was called an idiot i don't feel like an idiot now boys that's uh but, yeah, it's a lot of money to give to give to two tight ends. Um, I, I was shocked at how much money Jonu Smith got, considering that sometimes he just goes blank in some games. And I think that those two guys are definitely going to open up the offense for it seems like Cam Newton, and I think that's good for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Josh, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, how do you think they're going to work on the field together? Do you think – Obviously, they're probably going to be used in two tight end sets, I'd hope, with all the money they're giving to them. How how do you expect this to play out for your favorite New England Patriots?
2: Yeah, I'd imagine it's going to be a lot of two tight end sets, similar formations to what the Patriots used to do back in the early 2010s with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. Of course, we know a little more now about who those guys are, but they were very, very productive at the time, and that worked a lot for the Patriots. However, when the Patriots are doing well with two tight end sets in 2011, you know who was playing quarterback for them, Leo?
0: Tom Brady was playing quarterback for them. not Cam
2: Newton I'll tell you that much okay, so yeah. I'm not too concerned with what New England's doing right now at the end of the day I don't see New England as much of a threat in the AFC East until they address the quarterback position with someone other than Cam
0: Newton I, I wholeheartedly agree with Josh on this one uh, Cam Newton obviously given a one-year 14 million dollar contract uh, I've been vocal about how I feel about Cam Newton which is a, late.
2: a raise I would like to add
0: Yes. Uh, yeah. It's a race. Uh, I don't think they should have played at all. I still think his shoulder's shot and uh, I think he's going to have problems throwing down the field, but to the Patriots credit, what they've done with their offseason so far is improved in the short and mid range of the field where Cam Newton, I think he'd still throw the ball. So if they want to try to beat teams by dink and dunking their way and taking eight minutes off the clock per possession, they can go ahead and try it. But uh, Dom, I don't know if you echoed this thought, but I th- I just think when this team gets behind, they're going to struggle real hard with Cam Newton's uh, limitations.
1: Yeah, but I also think that they're going to struggle less than how they struggled in the 2020 season because of these additions that they brought onto the offense. So I, I know that they're, they're not the greatest uh, acquisitions by any stretch of the imagination, but I think the Patriots offense got better this offseason by a, a large stretch. They have guys that can get open. And that's what they just did not happen.
0: And then Dom, obviously the Patriots did a little bit more than just tight ends. Uh, Did you want to maybe lay out the defensive acquisitions that they also got uh, during this tampering period? Because they named a couple notable names to their uh, roster.
1: They got Matt Judon, which is a really good acquisition on the edge. And they didn't pay him that much. I mean, Bud Dupree got more money to go to Tennessee. And Bud Dupree's coming off of a torn ACL. And frankly, he hadn't really done a whole lot leading into last year. They also added Jalen Mills. Uh, I call him burnt green toast yeah. and, uh, he won't be green anymore. So very talented player. Like there's no other way around that, but he just, uh, his eyes are in the backfield, Mr. Double move. Uh, he likes to bite on the double move. He's kind of like, I don't want to call him a rat, but like, you know, he, he sees the cheese and he falls into the trap with the double move and then guys just run right by him. So, <laughs> I mean if, if they can develop him like Stefan Gilmore was a really good bill, but he turned into a defensive player of the year as the Patriots. They've done a really good job of developing defensive backs to being really good. And if they can do that, Jalen Mills, freak athlete, I think that could certainly be really good acquisition. Did they get anyone else?
0: No, that's uh I think that's about it. We're not missing anyone. Um, right. they did let some offensive line people players go, I believe. They let Joe Fun Thun, Funny or Thunley Joe Tooney. Tony whatever yeah my bad I apologize but uh, he left the Patriots I can't remember who he joined I believe Chiefs Chief? yeah yeah. Kansas he- City yeah which
2: is what I'm honestly more concerned about than anything else
0: yeah so Chiefs obviously struggled uh with their tackle problem we didn't know who they get back they now They're have custom- three
1: offensive linemen
0: yeah they now have three yep so the Chiefs filled the hole that there was problem for them in the Super Bowl uh, that's an acquisition Josh is there any acquisition that you want to talk about maybe that isn't built center because I know there's one you're going to bring up but I think we might sit that for later is there a non bill yeah. one that stuck out
2: non bill one that stuck out I think Leonard Williams sticking around with the Giants was a really big signing for that organization I think they need an anchor up front and Leonard Williams has been that for them for the past couple seasons and that's just a big start for their defense their defense was really productive last year of course with the additions of Blake Martinez and they got Gabriel Preppers playing a little bit better, and I'm forgetting the name of the – James Bradbury was the corner who they signed who was playing really well. To keep Leonard Williams there, to keep that group together, that was really, really good on defense. We heard me talking about it a lot this past season, how great that Giants defense was, and we know I have all the faith in the world in Daniel Jones. I think you keep that defense together, and then you're really going to have something consistent there which is going to make things easier on the offensive side of the ball for Danny Dimes.
0: Yeah, and then uh, to stay with the Giants on the offensive end, I'm, I'm personally as an Eagles fan, a little bit scared of this. I still think John Ross has the ability to be uh, a great player, and he signed a deal with the Giants, and I'm a little afraid that a change of scenery might see John Ross become the player that Cincinnati Bengals fans hope to be. signed a one-year deal with the Giants. So the Giants making a couple moves. Uh, as of the recording, there's some noise that they might even uh, land Kenny Galladay, which would be a nightmare for me. Uh, as an Eagles fan, and uh, that would be a great acquisition from the unbiased stance. Uh, another free agent that I want to bring up, though, uh, that is the bigger one. Um, I wasn't right about his landing spot. I picked someone else to land here, but he's a better player. and makes them a lot better. John Johnson yep. is a Cleveland Brown. Great um, contract for them, too. Great contract and great player. That defense is going to be scary. I, I know Dom and I had, him, had them going somewhere else but I think this is still a good fit. Maybe not as good as a fit as Dom, but it's a great contract, a great player. I know Dom, you would know very well.
1: Yeah, uh, very talented, very smart player. I think his IQ is really what stands out to me with John Johnson as a football player. Uh, Big guy. Uh, He went to Boston College, which is a very smart school. You know, you don't get idiots going there uh, for a lack of a better term. You know, you you have to meet some academic requirements as the as the athlete to get into that school very smart player was a big part of the Rams defense for the past four years and being a part of that team that went to the playoffs in three of the four years and he was that first McVay draft class that has done so well him Cooper Cup Samson Ebukam just a bunch of guys in that draft class that have been really good and he was a big part of that I really wish the Rams were able to to keep him but you know when you're a good team, you gotta make some sacrifices. And especially given the Rams cap situation, they're able to maneuver a couple of guys, but John Johnson, of course, is the is the player that has lost. But Leonard Floyd got a four year, $64 million deal. He got, he got a big payday. He, he bet on himself one year, $10 million to go to the Rams last year. And he made four, four years, $64 million. I didn't think the Rams were gonna bring him back, but I love it. Uh, to live in the dreams of Russell Westbrook. Not Russell Westbrook, Russell Wilson. And uh, I can't believe I just said Russell Westbrook on a football podcast. Uh, But uh, he haunted that man. He's gonna haunt him some more, and I love it. Yeah, Josh, I'm sure
0: you echo the same thought, but me and you both thought the same thing we saw that come out. Uh, How are the Rams paying for him? Uh, it, It still baffles me, I'm sure it baffles you.
2: I mean, at this point, I know it's just ridiculous to say because it's obviously not true, but it really feels like the salary cap is a myth. Like, I don't know how these teams could give out the money that it says they're giving out and still be under the $185 million a year. I mean, the Rams are paying Jalen Ramsey, $20 million a year. They're paying Aaron Donald $20 million a year. They're probably paying Cup around 12. They're paying Robbie Woods now around 14, right, Donald? they still pay-
1: yeah, they're banking on they're banking, on, they're banking on some well, restu- I mean. they're banking on some restructures because they're still over the cap, but they're, they're still paying Todd Gurley again as well, correct? Still paying Todd Gurley
2: like the way these general managers maneuver around with the cap, and it's not just the Rams. I mean, a lot of teams have been doing this as well, and it's just Saints too.
0: Yeah,
2: the Saints as well. Yeah, I'm blanking on the guy's name who they have in their salary cap department, but there was a reason. Tweet about it from Schefter talking about, he retweeted it about how like, this is the Saints secret weapon. The fact that they were able to maneuver everything to get to where they are now. Like the salary cap guy, just insane.
0: Yeah, so the Saints, the big thing that they did to say under the cap, we talked about they'd be in cap, uh, cap hell. Uh, the main thing they did was give Taysom Hill a, a strange looking contract that is a, a contract. It's a, technically an extension. It's a four year extension uh, with $146 million, which is ludicrous uh when looking on the outside but in reality it's just a con extension so they can move cap uh off of this year and every year has a team option void so whenever they're done with taste they don't like jason hill anymore they can void it he doesn't get um really any of that money for the next couple years so in reality it's just a really tricky cap maneuver by the saints gm that uh obviously paid off because they're now under the cap among other restrictions uh so and then the last thing I want to touch on, and then these guys can say, uh, I know Josh has a Bills thing that he'll get into, but last thing I'm going to touch on here. Um, Dom mentioned he was right about two of his picks last episode. I did get a consolation prize. I was right about one of them. Ryan Fitzpatrick is most likely going to be your starting Washington football team quarterback. Um, most likely, Josh. He'll probably start week one. I don't think they're going to throw Heineke, Heineke in there week one at least. Um yeah, so Ryan Fitzpatrick's in the NFC East uh, on a one-year deal as well. Good spot that I thought he'd land, and I, I was correct about it. Uh, I'll leave Josh. I'll give Josh the floor to do his Bills thing, and if Dom thinks I missed anyone, he'll jump in before we get to the showdown. So Josh, Bills news. Yeah, I
2: mean, this isn't even just a Bills thing for me. I mean, I've always been very fond of Emmanuel Sanders for years. I thought he was a very talented player, even back in his days in Pittsburgh. I'm not a big fan of the Steelers overall. I've like, I disliked most of the players in that organization, but Sanders was always a guy I loved. He was great in Denver as well with Peyton and he kind of bounced around a little bit. Of course, now he's on the later days of his career, but when he was available for a trade, when the Saints got him, I was really pushing for the Bills to get him. I really wanted to see that happen. And to finally see him in a Bills uniform, I'm really excited about it for a one year, $6 million deal. It's a really nice addition to the wide receiver room, especially after losing John Brown. I think the Bills receiver receiving room is still one of the best in the league, if not the best now with this edition. I'm really excited to see what can happen with these guys this year.
0: Definitely would say undisputed top five for sure. Uh, Dom, is there anything I missed that you may want to bring up before we go to the showdown?
1: Uh, I mean, Rodney Hudson got traded to Arizona today. Yes. That was pretty big. AJ Green was very bad last year, but he's now playing for uh, Arizona. I thought that was a big...
2: Imagine getting J.J. Watt and A.J. Green in the same offseason.
1: God,
0: imagine if it was 2014. Five years huh? ago, we'd be saying it yeah. we in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yep, yeah, that's true. Uh, A.J. Green and Larry Fitzgerald playing together on the field. Never thought I'd see that either. Uh, we're here now. Uh, yeah, they've...
2: Um, you we know, don't know if Larry Fitz is going to be sticking around, though. Who knows?
1: Oh, we don't know yet? Okay. He's Why? not under contract. No, I don't think. Okay. I don't think. Uh, Trent Williams resigned a massive deal for the 49ers. Which is, I, can't I believe not imagine wearing any other uniform. He's not going to be I wearing uniform. Him. He wasn't good this past year. I'd be fine with him
2: retiring, but I don't want to see him play anywhere other than Arizona.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, well, that basically sums anything up. If you think we missed anything that you we you need us to talk about next week, uh, go ahead and tweet at us. Uh, you know, at Split the Seam. That's where we are. I'm sure that's where you had the podcast. But for now, we're going to jump in to our special showdown. I'll explain it once we we get there. Welcome back. We're here with the first ever guest on Split the Scene Podcast. Uh, It's our own Danny. Uh, Danny an AP for one of the shows that Josh is the EP for. Uh, Danny, just tell us a little bit about yourself before uh, we jump into this.
3: Uh, I'm Danny. I'm I'm a freshman at Syracuse, majoring in broadcast journalism. I'm from Maryland, diehard uh, Orioles and Ravens fan. And I'm excited to be here.
0: There we go. Awesome. All right. This is, I'm going to preface this by saying that these two, I caught them in a very heated exchange in the Citrus studio. uh, And I immediately thought we need to have this happen on the podcast. So one of the questions they were debating will be in the showdown today. The showdown is going to be around the idea of comparing quarterback seasons. We're going, uh, you know, for example, one of the ones that we'll debate, the one that's highly touted here is going to be. Uh, Lamar Jackson's 2019 MVP season versus Josh Allen's 2020 season. And me and Dom are going to be the judges and we'll come to a decision on which argument we like more. There's 10 of them, just like normal 10. There is a tiebreaker one, a very tricky tiebreaker one that we have prepared if we hit five to the versus five. Uh, and yeah, that's basically it. Uh, we'll see if Josh can break his uh, uh, no win streak. And we'll see if Danny can take down a regular In (laughs) and send him to 0 3, which would be very interesting. Uh, We'll hop right into it. Uh, uh, When I get, let me just pull the list up real quick. We're not gonna start with the one that I just said. I made sure that one came later for all intensive purposes. Uh, So we'll start here with uh, the first one we're gonna throw out here is 2017 Alex Smith versus 2019 Kirk Cousins. 2017 Alex Smith was. On the Chiefs and 2019, Kirk Cousins obviously was the is a oh, year on the Vikings. This is the battle of the routinely just good quarterbacks. So the quarterbacks that you've never called great, but you've never called bad before in their entire career, basically. Uh, and yeah, so we're gonna start with Josh here, because he's uh resident here. Josh, give tell us why I should pick your argument. All right. So I think that Alex Smith definitely had the better
2: year. And first, let's just look at the numbers. He had about 400 more yards than Kirk Cousins. Same number of touchdowns and one less pick. They both had 15 starts. So numbers are pretty similar. Slightly favor Alex Smith, but nothing too crazy, right? But then to me, the thing that really makes the difference is you got to just look at the situation that each quarterback is in. Kirk Cousins was in his second year in Minnesota, starting to get a little bit more comfortable, starting to get a little more used to his receivers, starting to get a little more used to the system and feeling comfortable. You know what was going on with Alex Smith in 2017, Leo? What was going on in 2017 with Alex Smith, Josh? It, well, in 2017, in the NFL draft, the Kansas City Chiefs at the 10th overall pick took Patrick Mahomes. And Alex Smith put up the best year of his NFL career, knowing that the next offseason. He was going to be shunned away from Kansas city, no matter what happened. He fought a lot of adversity, not just with that, but later in the season, they went on a four game losing streak. Things were starting to get a little heated. There were even questions of, is it time to go to Mahomes? Nope. They stuck it out. They rolled with Alex Smith. They won four straight games to go 10 and four and got into the playoffs. Alex Smith not only had the better year numbers wise, but had to go through a lot more to have a better season.
0: Okay. All right. Danny, here's your first ever chance to argue. Tell me why Kirk Cousins' season is a better season.
3: Well, you know, going back to Josh's claims about the numbers, I think he was a little selective with some of the stats he picked. A lot of baseline numbers, some I'd like to point out. uh, Cousins actually uh, bested Smith in completion percentage. He was about two percentage points higher. He had a better touchdown percentage. He was about one one percentage point higher there. And he actually had a higher quarterback rating about, it was a 107.4 to 104.7. So Cousins really, maybe not in the base, like counting numbers, traditionally he was better, but I, he was definitely better when you look at more of the advanced, the percentages, those kind of numbers. And honestly, Cousins in those base numbers, yeah, he was slightly worse, but I honestly think he had less help than Smith had. You know, Smith working with one of the great offensive coaches of honestly ever and Andy Reid, and working with Kareem Hunt in his breakout year, uh, Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and honestly a top offensive line with Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, Lawrence varney Tardiff, all there in 2017. Meanwhile, Cousins, you know, he did have his weapons, you know, his digs, Thielen, Dalvin Cook. That Vikings O-line was bad. and They've been bad for several years now, but in 2019, he just did not have great protection. But on top of all of this, something that i find very interesting and noteworthy about this is that cousins went 10 and 5 and won a playoff game. alex smith went 9 and 6 and didn't i think in the extra win and the playoff win pushes cousins over the top
0: okay well josh uh, as per usual i give you i'm gonna give you an opportunity to counter and then danny will get a chance to say one I more just- thing before we make our decision so go ahead with your counter
2: the, the one thing that stood out to me is you're saying Andy Reid was working with him, all these guys were working with him, trying to get Alex Smith comfortable. But were, were they working with Alex Smith or were they working with Patrick Mahomes? Uh,
3: I think they were absolutely working with Alex Smith. He was their starting quarterback. So to say but that they weren't working with him would be. The, a the bit players of, certainly were, but shocking. Andy
2: Reid, knowing that he's the head coach of this organization for a long time and he just drafted a quarterback in the top 10 of the draft, gave up multiple first round picks to get him. He would be a little more invested in the guy he just drafted than the guy he knows he's going to move on from in the next offseason.
3: I mean, I think it would be a horrendous look for a head coach to not be supporting his starting quarterback. So if Andy Reid wasn't working with Alex Smith, then something would seriously have been he, going- He wrong. certainly I mean, was working with Alex Smith, don't
2: get me wrong, but it wasn't 100% of his attention focused on Alex Smith. In Minnesota, Mike Zimmer, and Kevin Stefanski was still there at the time, I believe. Kevin Stefanski was working very closely with Kirk Cousins because Kirk Cousins was the only option. Alex Smith was not the only option in this building. They had to divide the time between the two quarterbacks. Did Smith get most of the time? Probably, but he wasn't the full story there. He wasn't everything.
3: I mean, the goal of every season is to win the Super Bowl. If you're not working towards that, then something's going wrong. So to say that Andy Reid wouldn't have been devoting his attention to making the offense the best that it could possibly be at the current time is ludicrous.
0: Okay. All right. I'm going to cut you both off there. That's Danny gets to, Danny gets to
1: talk last you started, yeah, Josh. And uh, Leo, I, I was paying attention. But I think you got a full look at that one, so I'll let you take the full reins on picking this winner. <laughs> You're going to put the pressure on me to
0: decide this first point?
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll help you on the next nine, but this okay. one I, I feel like you, you had a better look. Now, I heard that last part about him not helping Alex Smith, which was blasphemous like Danny mentioned, but – Okay. Uh, there were there there. That was just a counterpoint. That wasn't the main point of his argument. So so
0: basically, I'll I'll explain to you while I justify what I'm gonna pick here. Uh, these two had very very similar seasons statistically. You right. get slight edges across the board. Q- QBRs are basically the same. These are probably the best seasons out of both these quarterbacks in their career. Well, that's why we picked them. Um, but I am going to give it to Danny because I think, A, the Vikings had a worse offensive line. I think the offensive talent around both of them are the same. But I think the fact that Kirk Cousins uh, won uh, not only more technically regular season games, but the playoff game is what sells it for me. I, the fact that Alex Smith went into that that postseason and pulled an Alex Smith and lost to that Titans team with the Mariota c- catching his own touchdown uh, – Basically is what sealed it for me. I'm going to give Danny the first point, so Danny's going to be up one nothing early. Right, little beginner's luck, no big deal. Oh, okay, all right. Trash talking, I appreciate it all. All right, uh, the next one we'll go to is um, a quarterback that I was wrong on, and then a quarterback that Josh hates. So I, I, you can guess uh, um, who Josh picked in this debate. Uh, uh,
2: uh. You could probably, probably just guess, guess that two t- people who are right or wrong here. Let's say. Quarterback you were wrong on on Baker Mayfield. Quarterback that I'm right on, Jared Goff.
0: Okay, all right, all right, that's fine. Uh, well, anyways, to break it down for the listeners, we're going to be doing 2020 Baker Mayfield season versus 2017 Jared and, Goff season. And can I explain why we paired these two guys up? Yeah, I was just going to say really quick, it's, I would say, Battle of the Underrated Young Quarterbacks is what I titled it. But, well, Dom, go ahead. Why you
1: my, my explanation for why I paired these two together was because Between what I looked at these quarterbacks, I mean, obviously Jared Goff was just atrocious in 2016. New head coach comes in, they put new weapons around him, they build the offensive line, and he has a much better year. And then you look at Baker Mayfield in 2019, head coach situation was abysmal. The offensive line was garbage. The weapons were a little shaky. And they bring in some more weapons from from the draft. They upgrade the offensive line, they get a good head coach, and he exceeds. So that's the reason we're going to be comparing these two. Which one had the better season, though? Yeah, that's why
0: I said under underrated because they both had lackluster seasons prior to these seasons. So I said under underrated on quarterbacks. Regardless, Danny, uh, you go ahead first with tell me why 2017 Jared Goff is the better option here.
3: Yeah, well, I I found that I kind of like you guys said they were I I think they were both in somewhat similar situations, you know, both under new head coaches, new systems, both 2017 Rams and 2020 Browns, both first success in a long time for those franchises in those years. But what I found interesting was that uh, Goff had 100 less completions than Baker Mayfield, exactly on the dot, 100 less. He played one less game, but despite that, 250 more passing yards and two more touchdowns and one less interception. So honest, despite, you know, completing a lot less passes, he still had great numbers. And honestly, when you look at the numbers, Baker just wasn't that good. He had a four-week stretch this year with two total touchdown passes. And this wasn't just any four-week stretch. This was a four-week stretch against the Raiders, the Texans, the Eagles, and the Jaguars, none of whom ended the year higher than 20th in total team defense, most of them in the bottom five. And Goff in 2017, only two games total without a touchdown pass. Not only did Baker go cold for a significant portion of the year, but he was being helped by arguably the best pair of running backs in the league that uh, with uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. So I think it's clearly got to be Jared Goff here.
0: Okay. A A lot of interesting points. Josh, why is it 2020 Baker Mayfield? Okay. First of all, fact check. In
2: 2017, Jared Goff had 296 completions. And in 2020, Baker Mayfield had 305 completions. So I don't know where you got those numbers, Danny, but the, the number that really stood out to me here is going to be QBR. Baker Mayfield's QBR in 2020 was 72.2. That was good enough to get him top 10 in the league. You know what Garrett Goff's QBR was in 2017? It was 55.7. That's a big difference in QBR there. I was shocked to see that much of a difference, to be honest with you. And... Back to the theme of adversity, because let's talk about it. I think Baker went through some. That 2017, that 2020 season, excuse me, week seven, his number one wide receiver goes down with a torn ACL. That's a lot to deal with for a young quarterback, especially while he's learning a new system, while he's getting adjusted to a new head coach. To lose your number one receiver like that, look, we all know who Odell Beckham is. We know that we've seen some things about their offense potentially doing better with Odell not on the field. But look, when you're planning to have a number one wide receiver out there and he goes down things change there's no arguing that one baker mayfield also had more game when he drives than jared goff which i find interesting to note and the one thing that i did want to bring up danny brought up the issue with the cold streak of throwing touchdown passes for baker mayfield but you know what the thing is he had such a good run game that when they got the ball inside the 10 yard line there was no reason to throw the football they had a great offensive line They had two great running backs. You don't need to throw the football down there. Why would you do that? We learned from Seattle a few years back. Don't throw the football in the red zone. If you have a good running game, just run the ball and punch it in. They ran the ball and punched it in. It worked for them. They made the playoffs.
0: All right, Danny, uh, you get to counter and then Josh will get the last point and we'll make a decision. So go ahead with your counter.
3: All right, well, uh, first I will say the 100 completions was wrong. I honestly don't know where that number came from, but irregardless, Uh, going back to the run game a little bit coming into the year, everyone knew that the Browns offense for it to be successful had to revolve around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They had to be at the base of the offense. So when defenses were coming in, they were preparing to stop the run. They wanted Baker to beat them. When you look at 2017, Jared Goff, he had to go against defenses that even though he wasn't coming off the best year, he was still going against defenses that were preparing to try to make Todd Gurley beat them. Because twenty, if you'll remember, 2017 was Todd Gurley's breakout year. That was the year he really became the all-pro running back that, for that great stretch he had in Los Angeles. So te- defenses weren't preparing to stop Gurley and daring Goff to beat them. They were preparing to stop Goff and daring Gurley to beat them early in the year. So Goff was going against more prepared defenses uh, compared to Baker.
0: All right, Josh, you get
2: the close. I don't agree with that at all. I don't think teams were preparing to try to stop a second-year quarterback in Jared Goff. who didn't really do anything to impress in his rookie season. And Todd Gurley had 1,300 yards in 2017. So Baker did definitely have some run support behind him. I'm not going to try to – argue against that because their running game was one of the best in the National Football League this past season. But Todd Gurley had a phenomenal year in 2017 as well, I could argue, better than Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt's year this year. Of course, combined, it's a different story. But uh, they both had the support of a great running game and Baker still shined more than Goff did.
0: All right, so Dom, I do want to deliberate a couple of things out here with you first. So first of all, I the one thing I do want to say that I wish Josh had brought up is that that cold streak was partly because the weather was so terrible in Cleveland for two of those yes. games that
1: you couldn't throw the football. Which is something that we always hammered home on this podcast. Because I I like Josh. I'm a defender of Baker. I don't think he's great. I think he's good. And there's nothing wrong with that. And part of the reason why he struggled in those games was because of the, the inclement weather in in the season. And But at the same time, Josh didn't bring up Todd Gurley. That was something that Danny had to bring up. Because I think yeah. that those... He could have really nullified the running back argument because it's a big part of those two guys' success. I don't think anyone's going to sit here and say that it isn't. Like these two guys, they depended on the run game to open up the passing attack, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, for Danny to use that as part of his argument, Josh could have really countered that, but he didn't. Josh also brought up. I mean, I thought he did counter it, but. No, but you counter it. You counted the running back part because a big part of it. I, I
2: said that Todd Gurley had 1300 yards and was just as good, if not better than he
1: hunt.
0: But what Don's saying is you waited until Danny brought Todd Gurley up. to say
1: Yes. Um, uh, the other thing
0: I do want to say is we do have to ax Danny's argument a little bit. I'm going to be stickler. Fact errors do get your argument.
1: Yes. hundred percent. So, yeah. I agree. I would, I would lean towards Josh on this side.
0: Should we give it to Josh because of a fact error? Is that what you're saying?
1: No, I mean, not just, not just the fact error. But I also think that he, uh, the quarterback rating, I didn't realize it was that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't realize he's, that either. He, He is right. He brought that part up. Uh, yards per completion is a big difference that I think Danny could have hit home a little more. But uh, I, I would lean a little bit more towards Josh on this debate.
0: I, I'd agree it's very close. So I'll, I'll give it to Josh. Josh, you would have hammered it. You would have gotten this one easily if you'd brought up the weather thing, by the way. I'm just saying. It, yeah, it weather, was... weather and girly.
1: Yeah, I'll be honest. Uh, I didn't even think of it. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Well, uh, no crap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, let's right. so move on to the next one. One one one
0: one one. Still early. Still plenty of time. Uh, this one, these are two seasons that I wish to not have to talk about, but I I do have to talk about. Uh, we're going to be talking about two uh, quarterbacks that I've had to watch a lot in my life as an Eagles fan. We're going to be bringing up 2016 Dak Prescott versus. 2012, Robert Griffin. This is the battle of the amazing rookie quarterback seasons. Uh, So Josh, Danny started last time. So you're going to start this time. Uh, Battle of the rookie quarterbacks. Who's the better one?
2: Yeah. So I think Dak Prescott definitely had the better year. And when I was looking at the numbers, there was one thing that I saw that I, I literally stood there with my jaw on the floor, just shocked at this. I mean, you see all these rookie quarterbacks. Coming into the league and struggling, you know, trying to figure out how to work a defense, trying to see the game slow down for them a little bit. That's what you hear a lot from these young quarterbacks. You know, the game starts to slow down for them a little bit, and that's when things get better. But you know what? The game was really slow for Dak Prescott the entire time. And you know what? He only threw four interceptions in 459 pass attempts as a rookie. That's just unheard of to me. I was shocked to see those numbers. Along with that, RG3, we know him as a runner, and don't get me wrong, he was a phenomenal runner, but Dak Prescott got significantly less carries than RG3 did. Only had one less touchdown than RG3 did, so that's an interesting number that I think is really interesting, and Dak Prescott in that year is a rookie, despite being a rookie and getting adjusted to the league, showed that he had the poise, that he had the leadership, that he had the motor to get the job done late in the game and showed that by putting up five game winning drives and fourth quarter comebacks as a rookie. That's sensational to me.
0: All right, good argument. I do want to point out, Danny, before you go, uh, obviously like last time we drafted uh, sides of these debates and this one is Danny's number one overall pick. So he decided out of all the options he could have chose, Robert Griffin's 2012 season was his top pick. So Danny, go ahead with your first overall argument.
3: Yes, well, I will say growing up uh, in, in Maryland, I've grown up in a divided household with uh, Ravens and formerly Redskins fans in both sides of my family. So I had a very close firsthand view to this 2012 season And honestly, you look at the numbers. Everyone says RG3, the great running, the running quarterback. He did pretty well passing the ball, too. 3,200 passing yards, 20 touchdowns to just five interceptions, and a 66% completion percentage. All very solid numbers passing the ball to go along with 800 yards rushing, seven touchdowns for the league's number one rushing attack. And, Josh, you mentioned that uh, Dak only had uh, one less rushing touchdown, but I'll, I'll challenge you on that. I don't think rushing touchdowns. Well, I mentioned the, the seven touchdowns for RG3 as a big stat. I honestly would say that quarterback rushing touchdowns are a little bit of a hard stat to quantify because were they QB sneaks? Were they just one-yard uh, carries? I mean, I don't know that off the top of my head. I don't have that uh, written down, but I think that's important to note. And also, you're noting how close the statistics were between the two of them, especially running and passing the ball, But what you're forgetting is that RG3 got hurt in week 14 and missed week 15, played week 16 and 17, still not 100% before ultimately blowing his knee out in the playoff game. So if he doesn't get hurt on the Haloti Nata tackle in week 14, his numbers would have been even better than they already astoundingly were and would have contributed to an even better season than the great one he already had. And on top of all of that, I touched on this in my first argument, but come back to it. Dak had a lot more help. I mean, Dak was playing behind the best offensive line in football without question that year, along with rookie Ezekiel Elliott, along with still in his prime, Des Bryant. Who did RG3 have? He had a rookie, Alfred Morris, who uh, uh, admittedly had a decent year, and Pierre Garcon on one side and old Santana Moss on the other. So Dak was clearly working with the superior arsenal and yet RG3 still managed to put up these outstanding numbers and despite getting hurt. So it's clearly got to be RG3.
0: All right, Josh, you get to counter and then Danny will have the final point.
2: the, The one thing that I failed to bring up and I apologize for bringing this up that I now notice and I find really interesting is to me. Throughout our lifetimes, there have been four rookie quarterback seasons that stand out to me. It's obviously the two we're talking about now, RG3 and Dak Prescott. And the other two, a little more recently, would be Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert. Who sticks out from those four and why? Does anyone know? I'm waiting for you to tell me. Dak Prescott, to me, sticks out from those four. He's got something unique with them. Justin Herbert, sixth overall pick. Baker Mayfield, first overall pick. Robert Griffin III, second overall pick. Dak Prescott, fourth round pick, was not expecting to start when he entered the building in training camp, was not expecting to start throughout the entire training camp OTAs, most of the preseason, until Tony Roma went down in the preseason, I believe it was week two or week three, with a broken collarbone. Dak came in unexpectedly, took over and was so dominant that he forced Tony Romo to retire. Unbelievable, came in out of nowhere, was completely unexpected. Of course, that's just a little more fluff and anyone can show you so that anyone could do it, but RG3 had the higher expectations and had more time to prepare for being the
0: starter. All right, Dan, Danny, you get closing thoughts?
3: Uh, you know, I think that's a good point that, um, Dak, what well, you know, he wasn't expecting to be the starter until week three of the preseason uh, was when Romo I don't covered, know if it was week three, don't quote me on that it, but it was the it, it was It was week three okay, I just, there we go. yeah, um, but uh, I don't, personally I don't think it matters, we don't, we're not looking at when he got drafted, we're not looking at what he did in the preseason, those numbers don't matter, what we're looking at is regular season numbers, because that's all that mattered for their Rookie of the Year awards, right and what it came down to was R- RG3 had a great year. Got hurt, still had a great year. Dak had a great year, but did it with a lot more help. And as we've seen with the Cowboys in the last couple of years, uh, while he's been important to their success, he's needed the help that they provided him too, having you know the great running back with the TKL Elliott, having that great O-line. So Dak, you know, it was similar, but Dak, Dak's job was a lot easier than RG3's was.
2: Well, Dak had more help on the field, but RG3 had more help off the field getting all those months in the offseason to prepare for being the starting
0: quarterback. We, yep, we, we got that, Josh. Uh, I'm gonna cut it off. I'm gonna cut it off there. Uh, Dom, I he, he said a great running back Ezekiel Elliott. I just
1: thought you would hate to hear that well, out loud. Listen, Zeke. Was, was great. in Good. I, no, I know. I just I want to standard. Dom. Y- you look at his runs. He's never been. Uh, we don't need to get
0: into my my z. Yeah, I'm stuff. just. Te- I was just teasing prior. Uh, for me, but this was a lot close. better. For run this this one is pretty close, and I think for me, uh, Dom. Before you go, it comes down to how how they center their arguments. Uh, are we judging based on expectation? Uh, coming into the season do we factor that in or not and do we factor in the fact that rg3 got injured how much do you
1: factor that in so that's that's the things are weighing on my mind i think these are pretty close arguments uh what are you thinking and one of josh's big points hitting home was that you know Dak wasn't this high draft pick well you could say that being a high draft pick works to your disadvantage because being the second overall pick you're inheriting a bad team and i think that's a very strong point is that when you're on a bad team what josh
2: Dallas I just had the fourth the overall pick the year they drafted Dak Prescott and they that is true
1: okay that is a good point. so they were a That's bad team a, yes I, I forgot about that thank you um anyways uh but at the same time they're they're using that first round pick to help Dak succeed instead of you know being RG3 but yes that he, is a these good are point. points
0: that he did but these are points that weren't argued I'm and sorry. and
1: the Redskins traded up to get RG3
0: you try not yes. to factor anything
1: Josh says in now because it's technically not a part of that. yeah it was, it was it was the Rams trade too so but they, they yeah. still weren't good I think they had the fourth pick in that draft so they didn't trade up very far to get them they sucked go. anyways uh, so I mean I value that the injury of course is a good point I totally forgot that RG three got hurt that year obviously I remember him blowing his knee out against Russell Wilson in the Seahawks and I guess I, more of the Legion of Boom but I, I will say wait I want to. The 2012 is that
0: the seattle seahawks they didn't win it that year. i can't i can't i'm bad with dates. Raven,
3: ravens won it that year ravens won
0: okay. that was the ravens um, year and then the, so both these guys lost in the first round dallas lost to the packers in, yeah in but the they got the round. first
1: round by yeah they, I know,
0: they, they also
2: had the sixth overall pick the year they created together okay so one thing i wanted to see 2016 it wasn't the year in when they Cowboys lost in Green Bay because of the deads, no catch, right? No, yes, this it was, was no. No, 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 they lost
1: it, they lost to Green Bay, but it, it was the it Jared was Tuck, toe tap catch. Yeah, after. Uh, Aaron Rodgers went up big, know, Dak right. brought him back, and then Aaron Rodgers since yeah. screw you. So, so, um, was my, with I
0: with Romo, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, that, yes. Was, oh, that, was, that was like 20 years before, so that was closer to the RG3 season, actually. Um. But what I, what I wanted Danny to bring up was the fact that RG3 had to get hurt out of this playoff game to make an impact, which I thought might say something. I don't know, Don, What are you thinking? Because I we're, we're we're teetering on this one a little too much. We have a lot more to get into. I'm curious what you uh,
1: think. I think I'd side with Danny just a little bit on this one. It was very close, but I'm gonna go with Danny.
0: But yeah, I, I'm fine giving to Danny as well. Uh, I think I think personally the uh, RG3 rookie season was much more electric. Uh, Going to well, but
1: I, we're not picking based on what season was better. We're picking on which guy made the better argument. Okay, I think yeah. he
0: hammered home how electric the season was in the stats that he gave out. So,
3: right. so all, all right. Right. so, so one overall pick coming through. Yeah,
0: you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, two one. We'll move on to the next one. Uh, we have we're completely switching uh, gears a little bit up. Uh, we're bringing up uh, milestone seasons. Uh, this is going to be 2013. Omaha Peyton Manning versus. 2018 patrick mahomes so the uh the kermit the frog man versus the big forehead uh that's not what i titled it it's actually the battle of the 50 touchdown seasons so that's what this is josh uh, you no, sorry danny gets to go first uh danny did not select this josh selected the person here but danny you'll be arguing patrick mahomes 2018 season correct
3: yeah. So what I found very interesting, I think these guys, they had very similar seasons overall, you know, the numbers, you know, some are better for us, some are worse. But what I found really interesting was that this, you know, this was Mahomes first year as a starter versus Peyton's fifteenth. So this is where Mahomes, you know, th- this is essentially his rookie year, his first year making starts. He's trying to figure out, adjust to the NFL gameplay. You know, he did sit for a year, but there's a big difference between sitting and actually playing. He lost four games all year. Those four losses were by a combined 14 points. So there was never a game that Mahomes and the Chiefs were truly out of it. Um, And if you want to talk about clutch time, Mahomes balled out in the playoffs. I mean, he dominated the Colts in, I believe, I believe they had a bye, so it would be the divisional round. And then, you know, took the Brady-Pats to the wire in overtime and only lost because he didn't get a chance to have the ball. So, you look at that compared to Peyton Manning in the playoffs, and, you know, everyone remembers the Super Bowl against the Seahawks where they were just horrendous. But it wasn't just that game. Also, in uh, their opening game against the Chargers, he wasn't good either. 230 yards, uh, an interception, only six yards per attempt. Not looking good there. So Peyton, honestly, when it came to clutch time, Peyton wasn't that good, especially compared to Mahomes. And honestly, uh, Peyton's team needed him a lot less than Mahomes did that year. A lot of the pieces of the no-fly zone defense were already there in 2013. Meanwhile, Mahomes was playing in shootouts all year. If Mahomes didn't throw 50 touchdowns, they weren't winning a lot of the games they did. If Peyton didn't throw all those touchdowns, they were still going to win those games because they were already blowouts because no one was scoring on the defense anyway.
0: All right, interesting points. Josh, your, your main argument? Definitely some interesting points, and this is a really
2: interesting argument for me because it's a guy who I think of very highly obviously in Patrick Mahomes. I've said it many times that I expect him to be the greatest quarterback of all time when he decides to hang it up. And I'm arguing against him with one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time and Peyton Manning. So this is an interesting one for me. First thing that I need to point out is, look, we're comparing a 23-year-old kid here in Patrick Mahomes to a 37-year-old broken man who should not have been playing football anymore. Okay, Peyton Manning had gone through serious major neck surgeries, shouldn't have been playing football anymore. They were told that he probably wouldn't play football anymore. Peyton fights through it, not only to get to it and be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but to win MVP and have the year that he did is just sensational. And I could argue it was the best year any quarterback has ever had. You look at the numbers between these two, Peyton Manning put up 400 more yards and five more touchdowns. Had some more impressive numbers there. And the most important stat is wins. Peyton went 13 and three, Mahomes went 12 and four. Peyton made it to the Super Bowl, Mahomes didn't. Don't have much else to say to you, Leo.
0: Right. Okay. Well, Danny, counter argument.
3: Well, touching on your you know young gun versus old geezer argument here, I would honestly say it's more of it was more of an advantage for Peyton than you're making it out to seem. I mean, coming yes, you know, ideally, no one wants to be coming off a major injury and on a new team, but Peyton been around the league uh, at this point in his career. He knew what was coming from pretty from most of the teams he was playing. He had the uh, advantage of experience by this point. And Mahomes didn't have that. Mahomes is a rookie who's making his basically first start in the NFL, not counting a week 17 game against Denver, you know? So it really was almost an advantage for him because no one knew what to, he he knew what to expect of other teams. People didn't know what to expect of Peyton, you know, coming, or uh, this is now two years removed actually from uh, his neck surgery. But it's, you know, people were asking those questions. Is he still going to hold up? Is he still able to throw the ball? But um, he had the advantage of experience. Mahomes didn't have that.
0: Okay, all right. Josh, closing
2: arguments. I don't have much else to say. I think I made my point clear. Peyton shouldn't have been playing football anymore. Put up arguably the greatest year in NFL history. Made a Super Bowl, Mahomes didn't. Got more wins than Mahomes. More yards, more touchdowns. What else do you want to see?
3: What happened right. when he got to that Super Bowl, though? He got there. Did Mahomes? Mahomes right. didn't I, have a chance. He didn't get the ball.
0: I, I'm going to cut so, it off. you on. want to blame the overtime rules, Danny? <laughs> Josh, I'm cutting you off. I'm cutting you off. Uh, Dom, I, wa- I did want to throw a stat out at you that I I wished uh, Danny had argued. Uh Josh brought up how many more yards and such that Peyton Manning had than Patrick Mahomes this season. I think it was 400, right? Uh, I wish Danny had brought up the fact that uh, Peyton Manning threw the ball. He had 450 more completions. Uh, He had 450 completions to Patrick Mahomes is 383. And he also threw the ball more often, 659 to 580. So you could just say that they relied on Peyton Manning more, uh, which I thought would be interesting. But what, do you, what are you thinking with this one? Because I think they're two good they, – they took two great ways to argue this, in my opinion. Yeah,
1: and I mean, like, it's really tough to decipher between these two guys because, of course, they were both really damn good. And they both – I think these are two of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. So they both had easy arguments to make. And, of course, I think that when you look at it, uh, Patrick Mahomes, he had a couple of bad games when uh, – when Danny said that he didn't have a single bad game all year, and against Jacksonville, who was not very good, 313 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. That was the one game that defense played really well. Then against Arizona, 250 yards, two touchdowns, uh, but didn't really do too before much. Before you continue, off. that Jags defense
2: was still pretty much at the core Jags defense that it was when they went on that AFC title game run. It was right? a
0: year removed, so yes. Gotcha.
1: Right, but their defense took like major step back that year because mm-hmm. they sucked. Um, uh, I mean, I would side more with uh, I'd side more with Josh here on this one. I think he hit home on the injury on the injury point that Peyton Manning was coming off of that. Uh, you know, obviously there's the experience of Patrick Mahomes, but uh, we've talked about it. He got the Senator Alex Smith, a really smart quarterback. Uh, and then got to learn from a really good head coach while Peyton Manning was doing the, all of this under John Fox, who was a really bad offensive coach.
0: Yeah, I did. Shoot, this is really close. Not I only do...
1: is he a really bad offensive coach. Well,
2: I mean, he's a defensive coach. Gave but... his offensive coordinator a full-on head coaching career just because he was connected to him for that one year.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Adam think... Gase
2: is only a head coach because he was with Peyton Manning for that year.
0: I, Yeah uh i do i do like uh this is close because danny danny doesn't have a point pain manning had the no flies out man <sighs> i i i think i think i josh, i
1: think we should give it to josh it's really close i well, i, mean, it's really I close. don't the the denver defense wasn't like that good this year well they're it, really not that great yet was that they did, did not have they did not have to leave uh i think dumerville left the year before yeah, um, Doomerville God, was God, gone. God, it God, it God, didn't it have Talib,
3: but a lot of the um, like the Von Miller, Malik yeah, Jackson, Von like Miller. more of the front, like the front set, more of the front seven, and then pieces were there, and Chris Harris
1: was there. Right. I, I, I'm I think, still giving it to Josh. I think, I think he, the he, shoulder was super efficient with what he had. Yeah, yeah it, it was it, a neck injury. It was a neck injury. Like yeah, his neck was like broken. He really yeah. should have been playing football.
0: Yeah, we'll give it to Josh. We'll tie it up two to two. Um, but before
2: we move on to the next one i do want to say solomon thomas who signed a one-year deal with the raiders i think that's a fantastic signing for the raiders stays yeah. in the bay
0: yeah the raiders just blew up their offensive line so i don't really but care too much does about it because they're in vegas now dom nice nice dom good job dom God. and loses to the jets one time and this guy just forgets football crazy.
1: shut up <laughs> why do you still bring this up Ugh. Okay, let's move on to debate number five, please. This isn't about the Jets beating the Rams, okay? J-E-T-D-S, Jets,
2: Jets, Jets.
0: Um, Okay, Uh, running gags never die on this podcast. All right, so we're talking about two MVP seasons. Uh, We're going to move to another two MVP seasons, but uh, they have a different central theme here. We're going to be talking about 2015 Ken Newton versus 2016 Matt Ryan. This is the Battle of the NFC South MVP Seasons. Uh, so this, this is uh, – we're starting with Danny, but Josh, I do want to mention, this is Josh's number one overall pick. He took Cam Newton's 2015 MVP season. So Josh's argument is his best argument by draft uh, logic. But, Danny, tell me why Matt Ryan's season was better.
3: All right. So, honestly, Matt Ryan in 2016 was one of the best quarterback seasons of the decade, in my opinion. I mean, he had the seventh best quarterback rating of all time. In the season, 117.1, threw for about 5,000 yards, 38 to 7 touchdown, high NT rate, 70% completion percentage. And he, he was at his best in the playoffs 338 and three TDs in the divisional round against Seattle, 392 and four TDs in the championship round against the Packers. And he had a 144 quarterback rating in the Super Bowl. And you know, you, you talk about, oh, they blew this 28 to 3 lead. Uh, But honestly, a lot of that was the play calling. They got very conservative with the play calling there. That's not on Matt Ryan. Um, So honestly, when you look at his whole body of work, you know, he really just dominated the entire season. And it's clear to me at least that the uh, Matt Ryan season was superior.
0: All right, well. That's, I definitely think he had some points home there. Uh, Josh, tell me why your number one overall pick is the correct pick for the judges.
2: Well, 2015 was a phenomenal year for Cam Newton, who now stocks in New England, but it was a great year for him in 2015 over in Carolina where some good things were happening down there. He put up 3,800 yards, 35 touchdowns, only 10 interceptions and led them to a 15 and one record. Of course, got some help from a nice defense, good defensive coordinator they had back there, I think back in the day, a guy named Sean McDermott. But we'll continue with Cam Newton here. Um, you got to account for him as a rushing threat as well, Ned. 10 rushing touchdowns, 636 yards on the ground. He was dominant both ways for this Carolina offense and really helped them produce because you know what? He really needed to produce for them because they didn't have a lot of weapons outside their leading receiver was a tight end. Greg Olson had 1,100 yards. Their best receiver, as far as literal wide receivers, Ted Ginn's, literally 739 yards that year for Ted Ginn. That was the leading wide receiver on a team that went 15-1 and with an MVP quarterback. The best wide receiver had 739 yards. For context, Matt Ryan had Julio Jones. It's pretty damn good. He put up 1,400 yards that year, and he only played 14 games as well. So if he stayed healthy probably would have gotten to 1600. And the thing to me that stands out, Danny, I was shocked to hear you try to blame the Super Bowl loss on play calling because I think that the guy calling the place for them, Kyle Shanahan was the only reason Matt Ryan was there in the first place. I think we saw once Matt Ryan, once Kyle Shanahan left Atlanta, that Matt Ryan just wasn't the same quarterback without him. We saw how well he was doing in Shanahan's system. Shanahan leaves, and he's not doing as well. I'm not sitting here saying Matt Ryan's a system quarterback, but he had his best year under Kyle Shanahan. Shanahan
0: leaves, and he's not the same. All right, Danny, you get a counter?
3: I mean, we're not talking about other years. We're talking about 2016. And in 2016, he had a career year. And also, to note on the Panthers, um, uh, they played the easiest schedule in the NFL. Their opponents had a combined or had a 441 win percentage. That's the lowest in the entire league in 2015. So yeah, they went 15 and one, but they played a pretty damn easy schedule to get there.
0: All right, Josh, closing arguments, then it's up to me and Dom.
2: You got to account for the dual threat and you got to account for the system he was in. You got to account for the
0: help he had on the outside. and You got to account for the help he had in his headset. Dom, this one's close again, man. I, I didn't know that stat about the Panthers... Be playing sub 500 team or sub 500 well, season. I mean, nat-
1: naturally as a winning team, you play a team with a losing schedule. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Especially I'd, I'd when be when you go 15 and one. I'd but be also, curious- Also, they
3: were tied, that strength of schedule number was tied with the Jets. So it wasn't like it was all good teams at the bottom of that, right? Right. Wait, Wait they, they were tied with which team? Uh, I <laughs> believe it was the Jets. Dude, yes, Josh. Josh, do uh, you want-
1: Josh, <laughs> I was leaning towards picking you in this <laughs> argument, Josh.
0: Oh, that's so funny. Um This is tough. I mean, Matt Ryan threw for at like five thousand yards, man. But I mean, I didn't know the leading receiver on the Panthers had seven hundred twenty nine yards either. Thirty nine, yeah, seven thirty nine. Seven thirty, okay. Ten yards, Josh. It's ten yards. I want to get the numbers right, Leo. <sighs> okay, fair enough. Twelve hundred, yeah, Dom. I, I don't know. I, I think I think I'm going to lean Josh because that was literally thought that teams would go undefeated and that season was nuts i you know what i don't know though because cam quit on the super bowl man oh god they both
1: they both lost in the super bowl so i I, but matt ryan dives on that fumble i mean you don't know that like (laughs) cam newton doesn't blow a 28 to 3 lead once again you don't know
3: cam newton doesn't get a 28 to 3 lead to blow yeah, you See, guys are you guys, are. you guys are.
1: You guys are just both throwing out hypotheticals that just don't help okay, or, do. <laughs> or 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 like hurt your arguments. So. Okay, so you wanna you wanna go Josh? I, I want to go Josh. Anyway, okay, I we'll think go, we go. both we'll, agree. Yeah, we'll so. go
3: Josh. I just like to note the precedent of choosing the quarterback with uh, no receivers and a great tight end versus uh, the quarterback with the bona fide number one. Just you, note that precedent for you, later. Yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Be, no. Okay. If it's part of your argument, that's part of your argument. Yeah. No. All right. We'll, we'll keep moving. Uh,
0: Josh is up 3-2. Oh, we got to keep moving for time's sake. Not, we, we've thrown two great seasons out of quarterbacks, two great quarterbacks, two great seasons. Uh, we did a little bit of a gimmick. This next one is far from that. Uh, we'll be arguing 2000 Trent Dilfer versus 2007 Eli Manning. This is the battle of the quarterbacks carried by their defenses to Super Bowl titles. Josh, you'll be starting with 2007 Eli Manning because Danny – Took Trent Dilfer to second overall.
2: Yeah, so let's start with the easy stat. Eli played sixteen. Trent Dilfer started what eight games? I believe it was that year. I think it was maybe it was definitely not sixteen. I think it was a lower number. I, I'm gonna have to double check that number, Danny. I'm sure you have it. But uh, he, it took over, was he took not over. He took over week 16. nine. There you go. So he started eight games. Had Dilfer started sixteen, Dilfer would have been on pace for more picks and less yards. Only one more touchdown than Eli Manning. And Eli had three game-winning drives in the regular season. Dilfer had one total playoff and regular season. Eli had three in the regular season. You know how many he had in the postseason? How many? Uno, dos, tres. Three game-winning drives in the playoffs for Eli Manning. You can say all you want about defense carrying them that year. And they did, I'm not going to deny that. The Giants defense was great that year. Michael
0: Strahan was phenomenal. But he, Eli had three game winning drives in the playoffs. He did that some memorable ones. All right, Danny, why is it 2000's Trent Dilfer?
3: Well, <laughs> you it. noted that uh, Trent, I mean, Trent Dilfer, you're right, he didn't take over until week nine. Um, and that was because at that point, the Ravens offense hadn't scored a touchdown in a month. <laughs> Four weeks since they had scored a touchdown. And in his first game, they didn't score a touchdown either. So they went on a five-week touchdown drought. And they lost that first game he started. But after that, 11-0. and He did not lose a game the rest of the season en route to winning the Super Bowl. And Eli – and honestly, when you think about it, Eli – was one of the reasons that they almost didn't get into the playoffs. Anyway, Eli was 18 of 53 passing the ball in a week 15 loss. He was seven of 15 in week 16. And, so honestly, they might the not. The game have that seen... he was seven and fifteen. Uh, Josh.
2: Nine. I don't know this off the top of my head. Josh, I guarantee Josh. You, who did have played that week and where Josh. Josh, Josh, you have to, you have to Josh. wait to count. You, can,
3: you can't, you can't interrupt him. You're right, it might have been weather, it might have been something, but he wasn't the reason that they were getting in the playoffs. But bringing it back to Trent Dilfer a little bit for my argument here, you know, you're right. Taking over week nine, his numbers aren't going to be great. But what Trent Dilfer did so well was that he understood his role on that team. The 2000 Ravens defense was the greatest of all time. They only gave up more than 20 points twice all year, more than 20 points twice. And that was to the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Tennessee Titans, two of the top offenses in the league that year. So Trent Dilfer coming in, he knew his role was to be a game manager, not make the big mistake and give the game away. And he fit that, perfectly. It's not about the numbers for this one. It's about him knowing his role and being the perfect man for it.
0: All right, Josh, now you can counter and say, things. I'm
2: sure it was bad weather that day. I can't, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't know who they were playing, where it was. I'd imagine week 15 as a New York quarterback must've been terrible weather. And that's why he only threw the ball 15 times. That would be my guess. The, the one stat that I'm going to keep hammering home Trent Dilfer had one game-winning drive all season. Eli had three in the regular season. Had three in the playoffs. I don't think I need to say much else. Three game-winning drives in the playoffs.
0: All right, Danny, you get to close this one out.
3: I'll hammer my point home again. Trent Dilfer didn't need to be the guy who was making the uh, comeback game-winning drives. That just wasn't what the two thousand Ravens needed from their starting quarterback. They needed a game manager who could avoid the big mistake. And that's what he did. He fit his role perfectly on the title.
2: Okay, the Giants needed someone to deliver those game-winning drives in the playoffs, and Eli did it three times. It's more impressive to deliver the game-winning drive than to not be needed to
3: deliver the game-winning drive. To be fair, Dilfer did also deliver the big play when needed. 96-yard touchdown to Shannon Sharp in the AFC Championship game. He could do it when he needed to as well. All
0: right, I'm cutting both of you off. He gets the last point.
1: Uh, Dom, I, this is interesting. I, I really I like that he hammered home was... the
3: eleven and zero.
0: I mean,
1: yeah, not, I thought this was the easiest one to decide. I think this one goes to Danny.
0: The, yeah, I, I, the funny thing is, I thought this was an easy. I thought this was Danny was going to surrender a point because of his Ravens fandom. and He just blew me out of the water. Yeah, I want to give it to Danny. I a thousand percent so give it to Danny. This is a better argument. He, he, I don't he, agree with that at all. Three game
1: winning drives in the playoffs. <laughs> Well, one they of the four only, games,
2: he won three games on his own, those games, those
1: games, but he, he perfectly argued. The defense allowed 14 points in the Super Bowl, Josh. And then of course he had that great play. Listen, I, I'm not trying to discredit anything. Did, it was more than a couple I, of plays on that drive. It was it's, it needed it's, to get
2: to, I believe it was the 40 yard line where the play started there. And they only got to around the 25 right. on that play. They still needed another 25 yards that throw, right. to, I think was but, Plaxico in the end zone. Phenomenal.
1: Right. But Josh, at some point, you there, there are several drives in that game where he had opportunities to do stuff and he didn't do them, and he needed to do it when it mattered most, and he did. But Trent Dilfer didn't need to do that because he was better than Eli Manning, and that's the player point. Player. That's the point that Danny hit home, and I think that's why he wins this argument.
0: And, and Danny, I like the Danny brought up because Eli Manning did almost cost them the playoffs. That's like, it's a literal fact at the end of the season. I looked, I remember those games. They're against divisional opponents and he nearly cost them the game. They were close loss, loss and win. Uh, so yeah, 3-3. Three, three. Wow, I, I actually didn't think it'd be like at this score at this point, to be honest with you. I thought someone would be leading. Uh, we'll move on. We're going to go focus on one specific team, a historic quarterback franchise, in my opinion. Uh, we're going to move on to 1994. 1990- five Brett Favre versus 2020 Aaron Rodgers. We're doing another big old gap in time here. Uh, this is a 25 year gap. Uh, so just keep that in mind you two. Battle of the Packer MVP seasons. Uh, we, I believe we start. we start with Danny last time. So Josh, he'll be going first. Oh no, no, we started with, did we start, we start with Josh. Sure,
3: Danny yeah, started last
0: time. time. No, cause Danny had the closing. So that meant he went second. Okay. Yes, go ahead, Danny, Dave. go ahead first.
3: All right, so let's take a look at the numbers here for 95 bar through for 4400 yards and 38 touchdowns and you know in the modern game those are impressive numbers albeit not world beating, but you need to take a look at this from the context of 1995 in 1995 4400 yards that was the 11th most all time 38 touchdowns third most all time and the most if your name's not Dan Marino. So Favre had an absolutely, one of the best quarterback seasons ever at that time. And he was doing it when his leading rusher was a fullback. The Packers only had six rushing touchdowns that were not by Brett Favre that year. So all of this stuff that Brett Favre was doing, he needed to be doing for the Packers to get where they wanted to go. And honestly, Aaron Rodgers, great year in 2020, but he faded down the stretch. Only one 300 yard game in his final eight games. And that was in the NFC title game. So seven games in a row before the NFC title game, he was under 300 for the Packers. Meanwhile, one of Favre's best games of the year was in the divisional round against San Francisco for the Packers to move on. So honestly, I, it has to be Favre, just from the context of the numbers and his clutch.
0: All right, Josh, your argument for 2020 Aaron Rodgers. Just a couple numbers I'm gonna throw out here. I really only feel
2: the need to throw out one, but I'm gonna give you a couple anyway. Aaron Rodgers had a 70.7 completion percentage this season. Brett Favre only 63% in his 95 season. Aaron Rodgers had two game winning drives to Favre's one. I know you guys don't really like the idea of game winning drives apparently, so I'm not gonna throw that number out there. It's not too important. But the number that's most important is wins. Aaron Rodgers picked up two more wins, 13 wins to Favre's 11. And the number that stood out to me the most, this was other than Dak Prescott's four interceptions, the number that I was shocked to see the most. Aaron Rodgers threw five interceptions this past year. In 95, Brett Favre, 13 interceptions. That's 2.6 times the amount of interceptions that Aaron Rodgers threw this year. That's eight more turnovers than Aaron Rodgers had this year. Unbelievable. All
3: right, Danny. You know, you counter. Josh, I appreciate the elementary math skills, but one of the thick, key points, you know, Brett Favre throwing interceptions, that was kind of part of his game, which I will, I'm not condoning, but I will point out. Also, Aaron Rodgers put up these numbers while playing with arguably the best wide receiver in football this year in Devontae Adams. Brett Favre, his number one receiver was Sterling Sharp, who suffered a career ending neck injury at the end of the year before. So he didn't have his number one receiver when he was putting up all these numbers because his number one receiver had retired. So he, you know, if you want to look at the numbers, Favre's numbers were good, but he was doing it without his best receiver on top of the already astounding uh, numbers themselves.
0: All right, Josh, you get closing.
2: 13 picks to five picks, 13 wins to 11 wins, 70% completion percentage to 63. I mean, the numbers say it clearly. Rocker's was just much more productive.
0: All right, all right. Now, no, no more talking while we deliver because none of you, what you say now counts. I'm just saying that I'm more aiming at jobs. that pipes up. They are both saying it. But it's, okay. It's all right, uh, Dom, The first thing that I, I, I want to say before you start that uh, to argue towards Danny is I really like that he made sure to hammer home that this was a different era because I think that's really important. The fact that this was 1995 versus 2020. So I I thought I thought that's important to the argument that he brought up. That's what I was looking for him to bring up. I
1: don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that was a big part of it. But I I thought Josh did a really good job of like hitting at the stats and like, but more interceptions and all that stuff. All right. So I'm fine giving it to Josh because
0: he threw 13 picks in an MVP season. is is interesting for sure. Uh, And so I think we give it to Josh and.
1: Is, it, is that tying this one up again? Are we, yeah,
0: is it four to four or no? It's No, I think that's four to three. It's, it's four, four to three, three Josh. Josh. Yeah, four three, Josh. Okay, all right. We're going to quickly keep moving here. Uh, we're going to go next to 2007 Ben Roethlisberger versus 2008 Philip Rivers. Battle of the 2004 draft class. Uh, Josh, you'll be starting this one.
2: Well, again, there's one thing that matters in football. It, it's not who gets the most yards it's not who gets the most completion percentage it's not qbr it's not any of that crap what matters is winning football games 15 starts for roethlisberger went 10 and 5 16 starts for phil rivers eight and eight that year and you also got to look at the guys he had around him phil had more around him he had vincent jackson was putting up a thousand yards also had lt on the ground who was just dominant for him all Ben had was a young San Antonio Holmes who wasn't fully developed yet in Agent Heinz Ward. I think it's pretty clear here. Roethlisberger was the guy who picked up more wins with less.
3: All right, Danny. Why yeah, all, all Ben had was a hall of fame wide receiver and one of the best wide receivers, big game wide receivers of his era. He didn't have any weapons. Wow. But Honestly, Ben wasn't statistically amazing. Only He had 3,100 yards, but that's not great for someone who's a pure pocket passer like Ben Roethlisberger. And from that 3,100-yard season, he only had one 300-yard game. And on top of that, he was absolutely awful down the stretch. Five straight games from week 12 to week 16 with under 200 yards passing. On top of that, three interceptions in in their uh, playoff loss. Now you mentioned Phillip Rivers. He did only go eight and eight. That's correct. But they still won their division. So, you know, you can talk about wins and losses, but that's all he had to do to win his division. And going eight and eight, that wasn't on him. They were second in team offense that year. He had a touchdown pass in every game except for two. So going eight and eight, but still being second in team offense, that's more on the defense. And that was the era of the horrendous San Diego special teams. So it's hard to blame Philip Rivers for that. But this was really his blossoming year. It, it began a stretch of four Pro Bowls in five years for him. He had a career-high 34 touchdown passes and a career-high 105.5 quarterback rating. So this was a great year personally for Philip Rivers. It was a great year for the San Diego offense as a whole that he helmed as compared and as compared to Ben Roethlisberger, who kind of struggled for a, lar- a good chunk of the season
0: all right for time's hold sake i am only
3: gonna
0: do a, a, a on. counter oh no counter no counter no g- give a counter i was because josh should get to the because danny to respond well hold on
1: before before josh goes i just want to point out the chargers special teams have never been good it wasn't just that era. they've just never been good but yes wait wasn't
0: this the year that it was like first overall chargers offensive that was uh 2010 oh, okay
1: never mind That's no okay. it wasn't that year
2: Okay. That Josh. is by far the most impressive football team of all time. The it
1: is yes. Oh, they went what
2: eight and eight that year. They went nine, nine and six. seven.
0: Yeah,
2: nine oh. and seven. Right, the first offense and first defense in the NFL. That's phenomenal.
0: <laughs> is Stupid. there anything like to counter before we pick to keep so we can keep the same? Yeah, league? I mean, I think I
2: hit my point home. It's about winning football games, and that's what Roethlisberger did. Sure, Philip won the division going eight and eight. Alex Smith won the division going seven and nine this year. Are we that impressed with him? No.
1: It, All it right, Alex Smith division going 500. Alex Smith went five and one this year. If we're going Absolutely. to be, if we're going to talk about that, uh, go. so Josh talks about winning, but he doesn't mention at one point the fact that there's two sides of the ball. Josh mentions both their offenses, but to my knowledge, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense that year was significantly better than the Chargers defense. So there's that, and then of course that was his main argument was that Ben Roethlisberger walked roethlisberger won more and you know he's right but that's not why he won because he was a better quarterback i think phil is a better quarterback and danny mentioned that as reasons i'd give danny this point danny hit home the stats that matter
0: the most so i would give it to danny in 2008 phil rivers and tie this thing up so that's what we're gonna do it's tied up and we're going into the 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 main event i guess we would say this is the main event debate this might get crazy i'm not gonna lie to you we still crazy. have one more i thought no what we do it's after this one
1: i want to slot this one in is actually we you have this one be the last one this one should be the last
3: one. A wardrobe change for this one
1: yeah sorry <laughs> yeah well, well you'll you'll need to save that for a second we're yeah we'll save it. it we're gonna switch that's it that's a nice running
0: back jersey right. day i, I was not uh, uh, save it save it save you it, it. save it <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna change it since it's high four to four we change the main event to the last one i, I want to put it at nine because i'm scared that we might oh. not here by then uh but we're gonna move to our next one which is uh another interesting comparison here we go 1990 randall cunningham so this is the oldest season we have on the book versus 2002 michael vick it's the battle of the mobile gunslingers uh danny starts this one correct because yeah Danny
3: starts. yeah so um i'll be honest i looked at the numbers i, I think randall cunningham does have vick on the numbers of this one I, I i have to admit that straight up but honestly Vic was better here because Vic was that entire Atlanta Falcons team. Without him, they go nowhere in 2002. All he had, he had an old Warwick Dunn who wasn't doing much and underdeveloped Brian Finneran and Algie Crumbler. So really without Vic, that team does nothing. And when, when you look at the numbers, his numbers were worse, but that's because he really had to, Vic had to play a certain way in order to win games for them. He had to limit his turnovers. He only had eight interceptions that year. Meanwhile, you look at Randall Cunningham on the Eagles, he had help. I mean, his defense was led by Reggie White. It was an all around very solid team. And what I might also note is Michael Vick won a playoff game in 2002. Randall Cunningham didn't do that in 1990.
2: All right, Josh. For the sake of time, I'm not gonna spend too much time here. I'm just gonna throw out a couple of numbers for you. Randall Cunningham had 500 more yards than Michael Vick through the air. He had 14 more touchdowns through the air. He had 150 more yards on the ground, but the number that stood out to me the most, Michael Vick's completion percentage, just
0: 55%. Okay, Danny, quick rebuttal to the stats you threw out.
3: Like I said, you know, Cunningham did have the better numbers, but Vick Vic meant more to his team. Yeah, Cunningham was a, maybe statistically better, but Vick was the MVP of the Falcons. They don't do anything without him. The Eagles could have done stuff without Cunningham.
0: These are, this is really hard because, Dom, this one's easy. This is, once again, an easy debate for Josh to win, but I think Danny threw a weird angle that makes me want to pick him. Uh, I would pick Josh though because 500 yards, I that's, that's nuts. I... 500
2: yards, 14 touchdowns, 150 on the ground, 55% completion percentage. Come on. Yeah, yeah I mean, is... it's
1: tough. Here's the thing. Danny, if you would have said Michael Vick went on the road and was one of two quarterbacks to win at Lambeau Field in the playoffs – or I guess now three because Tom Brady did it. Uh I would have I would have been I would have been very enthralled to give it to you, but you didn't. And yeah, I'll, I'll I, give it to Josh.
0: That's that would have sent me. So all right, Josh is up five to four. I'm now afraid, Dom, that we're gonna have to throw out our round card pick here potentially. I didn't think we actually have to throw that one out there,
1: but well, so here's the thing. Josh, if you mentioned the if you mentioned the divisional round game this year, and that's if that's part of your reason because he beat him in the playoffs oh, this year. Not- Okay, it's good because Josh Allen looked like crap in that game. Just gotta so.
3: pull this on real quick.
1: <laughs> All right, I Brent wouldn't say he, you looked like crap in that game. He, he was fine. Sure. We're we're
0: here at the main event. This is the debate that sparked this entire showdown. It is the 2019 MVP Lamar Jackson season versus the 2020 Josh Allen season, aptly titled the Battle of the 2018 Draft Class. This is also the Battle of the uh, two. <laughs> the two contestants' is favorite quarterbacks at the time. Now, uh, so Danny started last uh, time. Just their quarterbacks.
1: Their quarter. Okay, thanks, Tom. Uh, Josh. I think
3: that's an important definition. Yeah, like okay. is Matthew
1: Stafford my favorite quarterback? No, but he's my quarterback. Was Jared Goff my favorite quarterback? No. All right, but he was my quarterback.
2: All
0: right, guys, I was wrong. I apologize. Your quarterbacks.
1: Yes.
2: There you
0: go, Josh. You can just start this <laughs> this hectic debate.
2: All right, let's start it. So. First, let's get into the basic numbers. Josh Allen had a 69% completion percentage to Lamar Jackson's 66. Not only did he just have better numbers, but this is where everyone had been criticizing Josh Allen for years throughout his entire career. Showed he was able to do it, proved the doubters wrong, 69% completion percentage. Was so impressed with that. It was a big, big part of Josh Allen's year to get to that number and completion percentage. He was ahead of Lamar Jackson by a good 3% and improved on his 2019 number by, I believe it was 11%. So huge, huge stride from Josh, big 69% completion percentage there. You look at the passing yards. Josh Allen had 1400 more passing yards than Lamar Jackson and had more yards per per attempt as well. Josh threw the ball a lot more, so that was part of the 1400, but did have more yards per attempt than Lamar Jackson. Josh had more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson. We think of Lamar as this fantastic runner, as a guy who's so elite with his speed, which he is. I'm not gonna deny that. Josh Allen also has elite speed. Josh Allen is also a much more physical runner than Lamar Jackson is. He's definitely not more elusive, but more physical and harder to tackle. You don't see Lamar trucking guys like Josh Allen can do because no quarterback can do that other than Josh Allen. He's phenomenal and he trucks guys to get in the end zone. That's why he got more rushing touchdowns than Lamar Jackson. Josh Allen also has the clutch gene. Three game winning drives to Lamar Jackson's two game winning drives this season. And the part that I'm going to hit home, it was Lamar Jackson's first full year in that offense. And Lamar Jackson is a very unique football player. He has a skill set in the National Football League that is unlike any football player we've ever seen at the quarterback position. He had such a great year in 2019 because no one had a full season of tape on him yet. It's hard to prepare for such a unique skill set when there's nothing you can really compare to Lamar Jackson. You don't know how to prep for that because no one's ever had to prep for that. Now we have seen Lamar Jackson kind of regress because teams know how to prepare for him. And I think that's such a big part of why Lamar Jackson was so great in his first year. Josh Allen's just a traditional gunslinger. And in 2020, he freaking slung it. One other number I want to throw out that I think is really interesting This is a comparison between 2019 Josh Allen and 2019 Lamar Jackson. I'd imagine Josh Allen's 2020 numbers were better than these 2019 numbers because he's gotten better every year of his career since he was 16 years old. I don't have the 2020 numbers on hand. I would show them if I had them. Here's a tweet that I actually have saved for this argument. Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson were the only quarterbacks with hundred plus rushes last year. You look, but now let's look at their throwing because that's what's more important. They're on target percentage for their throws of 10 to 15 yards. Josh Allen, 71.7%. That's good for 11th in the National Football League. Lamar Jackson, 69.4%. That was 17th in the league. Go to 15 to 20 yards now, a little further down the field. Josh Allen, 64.6% on target percentage of his throws. That was 16th in the league. Lamar Jackson 15 to 20 yards in his MVP year on target only 61% of the time that was 22nd in the National Football League you go even further to 20 plus yards Josh Allen 42.4% 24th in the league his deep ball accuracy was a little off in 2019 but it was still better than Lamar Jackson's Lamar Jackson 38.6% of his passes 20 plus yards on target good for 28th in the National Football League yet still won MVP. Not quite sure how.
0: All right. Okay. I want to pair this before I let Danny go. We're going to let both of you throw counters out because this is a crazy one. But Josh, I will dock you if you interrupt Danny in any part of his points. Okay? So, Danny, okay. I will dock you if you interrupt him on the counter. Danny, tell me why the 2019 Lamar season is the better season. All
3: right. First, a little bit of rebuttal to Josh. Um, <clears throat> so, you're saying uh, it was Lamar's first full year that teams didn't have tape on him. That's not really true. He played the second half of 2018. It wasn't just, you know, Mahomes having one game and then going in. Lamar played eight games in 2018, so people had some tape on him. Also, you're saying that he's such a unique quarterback. Teams didn't really know how to defend him in 2019. I thought the whole story coming in was that teams knew how to defend him now after the Chargers lost. Wasn't that the whole storyline coming into the year that, that people had the book on Lamar? was playing seven guys in the secondary and having speed on the field. You're also talking about Josh Allen's year-to-year improvement, which is true, but I I think that it's actually really easy to improve as a quarterback when you're given a bona fide number one receiver like Stephon Diggs, something Lamar Jackson has never really had But into the argument. So Lamar, unanimous MVP, not just the MVP, the second-ever unanimous MVP, with 3,100 passing yards, a league leading 36 passing touchdowns to just six interceptions. He a, and we're talking about we're talking about his QB rating, which strictly is the passing numbers. QB rating of 113.3. That's the 12th highest ever. And that's just for his passing numbers. 2020 Josh Allen, 37th all time. Lamar's 113, that's higher than Josh Allen's best. That's higher than Deshaun Watson's best. That's higher than Russell Wilson's career best. It's just 0.5 behind Mahomes' career best. All that through the air, astoundingly great season. And then you look on the ground, 1,200 rushing yards, seven touchdowns, leading the greatest rushing offense in NFL history, statistically. 3,300 yards on the ground. They averaged over 200 yards rushing per game, thanks to Lamar and the system. And now look, his numbers are all great, but they could have been even better. Look, he didn't even play in week 17. They were so far ahead that five times during the season, he got he got benched during the fourth quarter for the backups. Five times that he didn't play the entire game, and he sat week 17. So his numbers are great, but they could have been so much better if he had played five more fourth quarters and a whole extra game in week 17. Which reminds me of a certain quarterback who ran up his numbers in a blowout week 17 win this year, but we won't talk about that. And also, Lamar, he was doing can all interruptions Can I interrupt, interrupt about numbers. something that's completely <laughs> factually incorrect? In points. No, you can, in points.
0: You can counter with something that's factually correct. You a, just, can just interrupt.
2: Start with,
1: it. start with it. Just start with it.
2: I think I should interrupt where he's completely wrong. Josh Allen did not play the second half of you, the Miami game.
1: You can counter it. You, you can no,
2: interrupt. No, I just want to get the facts he said that. out. Yes. Okay. I just want to get the facts out. That's fine. There. I think Thank
3: that's you. fair. So, uh, along with all of this, Lamar was doing this when his leading receiver and his third leading receiver were tight ends. He didn't have a number one like Stefan Diggs, he had five foot two Hollywood Brown and mark andrews so it's not like he's throwing to a receiver who's gonna who's gonna get 120 targets a year like Stefon is. he can't do that he didn't have that weaponry and the uh, and honestly if you want to talk about the playoff loss, I, i'm not I don't, i'm not sure if you mentioned the playoff uh but honestly lamar was the best member of the ravens in that uh titans playoff loss it was a bad game plan that had him throwing 59 times which admittedly is something lamar jackson should never do uh But Lamar had over 500 yards of total offense in that playoff game, which would have been even more if there weren't six drops by Ravens receivers, including a drop touchdown by Seth Roberts, along with the fact that Derrick Henry completely bulldozed the defense, something that Lamar Jackson clearly has no control over. So Lamar was honestly probably the least to blame of almost anyone for the Ravens playoff loss coming off one of the great seasons we've seen in recent history which it's no contest.
1: Okay, Josh, you may now counter. You may now well, speak. He, he already made his point about Josh Allen. How many games did Josh Allen not finish? You mentioned the, the last Miami. He didn't finish the Denver
2: game. He didn't finish yeah. the New England game. And he didn't play the entire second half of the Miami game. There okay. might be others that I'm forgetting, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Finished in Pittsburgh. I think that's it, but I might be wrong. Um,
1: Go on with the rest of the game. Anyway, he definitely finished every other game looking at their scores. But
2: look, you said it yourself Lamar in the system. Lamar in the system. They have a unique offense centered around Lamar's skill set. They weren't able to fully build that in 2018 when they started with Joe Flacco. Full 2019 offseason, you get a full offseason to build an offense with Greg Roman fully giving Lamar Jackson everything he needs to be successful. He didn't have that in 2018. That's why the tape wasn't the same for 2018 Lamar and 2019 Lamar, because he was running a new offense specifically designed for Lamar Jackson. It's very different. You look at Josh Allen, of course, the addition of Stefan Diggs made a big difference, but Josh Allen had been improving every single year of his career before 2020. Of course, he made a big jump in 2020, and that's what everyone's going to talk about because that's when he really put his way into this elite level of NFL quarterbacks and established himself as, in my opinion, a top five quarterback of the National Football League. But it's not just about Diggs. It's about what he did as an individual. It's about his third year in the NFL. It's about his third year in Brian Dable's system. It's about his second year taking snaps from Mitch Morris. It's about... Fully embracing the Buffalo culture led by Sean McDermott and fully leading this team and being the guy who everyone in this locker room looks at. That's why guys like John Feliciano are resigning and taking pay cuts. That's why Mitch, that's why Daryl Williams took a pay cut to come back. That's why Micah Hyde wanted to extend. That's why Jordan Poyer extended. That's why Trey White extended. That's why Deion Dawkins extended. Everyone wants to stay here and be a part of the Josh Allen Buffalo Bills. You heard Micah Hyde say it a few days ago. His free agent pitch to guys is come to Buffalo. This ain't the same old bills. This is the Josh Allen bills. It's different now. 2020 for Josh Allen wasn't just a year. It started something. He is getting a new culture in Buffalo led by his rocket arm and his leadership in the locker room to get people to want to come join him. Guys aren't having this desire to come join Lamar to come pull up to Baltimore and play with Lamar they're not attracting crazy big free agents the Bills haven't gotten any crazy big free agents either because they don't have the money to spend on it but everyone in Buffalo wants to stay in Buffalo guys have left Baltimore Mark Ingram has left Baltimore Clay's Clay's Campbell's still there isn't he he's still there other guys have left Baltimore wanting to go away from there No one's leaving Buffalo anytime soon. Guys want to stay with Josh Allen.
1: Please, please, please counter that argument. Not talking about Josh Allen's season. All right,
2: so first of all. That was completely about the season. His season established
3: a team. Danny, go ahead. First of all, in terms of the free agents, not a single free agent has left Baltimore because they don't want to play. It's entirely financial. Mark Ingram, Ravens didn't even want him back. They got J.K. Dobbins. They got Dust Edwards. Mark Ingram didn't even play down the stretch last year. He was a goner by, like, week 14. Um, You're talking about Lamar Jackson's system – about the system. They had that system in 2018. It wasn't like it was a completely new system in 2018. Yes, they did. They actually – they didn't use it with Joe Flacco because Joe Flacco is not a mobile quarterback, but they had that system in place ready to use when Lamar Jackson came in. It was established. They worked on it during the Miami – Lamar Jackson came in. During the bye week, they switched over to that system, but they had that same system in place. You'd, you didn't see Joe Flacco running option plays in the first half of the year. You saw Lamar Jackson running those plays second half of the year. It was a completely different playbook. If we had time to look at the film, we would see that. Uh, moving on, you're saying that um, all these guys are coming to Buffalo because of the, these new guys were enamored by this Buffalo culture. They haven't signed a single free agent yet this offseason
2: who wasn't
3: already in Buffalo. Hmm? Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders, okay. I one free agent you're, you're talking about this whole new culture all these guys want to flock to Buffalo to play. they're taking you got pay one cuts one to stay one you got one new receiver it, Ravens guys are staying too Derek Wolf just took a pay cut to stay in Baltimore I mean it's not like guys want to play with Lamar they see Lamar as the leader of that locker you're also talking about oh, it's an offense that's uh, uh, built around Lamar's system. That's why he's so good. It's a system quarterback. Every quarterback is in a system that's going to – sorry. Ideally, every quarterback is in a system that suits their strengths, i.e. the Bills not running the ball a single time against the Ravens in the playoffs because that's their system. Apparently, it worked for them. No, because the starting running back was hurt. Josh, I will let
0: you finish this argument off, but you have to let Danny talk this entire time.
3: So you can count on everything he says. Go ahead. I mean, you're talking about this whole culture shift around the, the bills uh, because of Josh Allen's one good season. Yeah. One good season. Good for him. But the thing is maybe like, I don't understand the importance of all of these guys uh, flocking to Josh Allen. I mean, Lamar Jackson's a leader in the Baltimore locker room. These guys love playing with him. They see him as one of the great quarterbacks. you I could give you a whole litany of uh, Raven's quotes about why Lamar, why they all love and support Lamar Jackson. So I honestly just don't see the relevance in in the argument of Josh Allen makes these guys want to come to Buffalo, because Lamar is just the same thing in Baltimore.
0: All right,
2: Josh, Uh, you're
3: you're closing this out and then we're deciding.
2: I want to go back to the Stefan Diggs argument, because I think there's something really interesting to note here. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that adding Stefan Diggs was not a big part of Josh Allen's 2020, because obviously having a number one receiver really does help. 29% of Josh Allen's targets went to Stephon Diggs. It's a big number, but you know how many of Lamar Jackson's 2019 targets went to Mark Andrews? Just a hair under 25. Those aren't too far off from each other, all right? So let's not sit here and try to say like Stephon Diggs was so monumental for this team. Everything went through Stephon Diggs because the target shares, weren't that crazy when you look at percentage of passes going to a player. Of course, Stephon Dix had a lot more targets because the Bills threw the ball a lot more. But in terms of percentage of the throws going to a certain player, it's not that big of a difference. And back to the whole guys wanting to come to Buffalo, there have been so many guys taking pay cuts to stay with Josh Allen. You hear every player saying, this is a new team around Josh Allen. I'm sure Lamar is doing the same out in Baltimore, but this is a whole new culture around this team led by this guy. It just all fits. It all works. It started in 2020 with a monumental season. And I also want to point out, you touched on MVP a couple of times. Lamar Jackson would not have won MVP if Aaron Rodgers had his 2020 season in 2019. Aaron Rodgers' 2020 was better than Lamar's 2019. It was also better than Josh Allen's 2020. Josh Allen would have won MVP this year if not for Aaron Rodgers.
3: All right, now we're throwing – okay. you, you, you I, I, he started. I just want to make one, one quick – he started. I just want to make one quick point. You, uh, there's a big difference in a tar, in Stephon Diggs' target share versus Mark Andrews because Stephon Diggs is a bona fide true number one receiver and Mark Andrews is a tight end.
1: That, okay, that's it. Josh, yeah, no counter. We're, we have – can I can I go? Because I'm gonna make this very short and sweet. I think yeah. that one person stayed on target talking about the 2019 season of his player, while the other went on and talked about a bunch of other random stuff about people trying to stay around and trying to help Josh, and then moving on to his 2019 season. In, instead of arguing about the player's 2020 season, and I think that this was a very easy decision for me, and I'd side with Amy. I'm,
0: I'm
2: I would also- It's not just about the numbers; it's about what the year impacts it's how important the year was to the organization. Josh Allen's
1: 2020 was much more important than the March 2019. You're also comparing, but if you look at the two organizations, one has won championships this decade. The other one has hadn't been in the playoffs and uh, they went went once and then he took them twice, but they hadn't been in such a long time. So you are comparing the two organizations and what they meant for each organization is comparing like me saying, well, the Padres 2020 season, met more to the Padres than the Mets 2015 season meant to the Mets when the Mets were just as good or were, the, were better than the 2020 Padres. Like, it doesn't make sense to make those comparisons.
0: Also, something I want to harp on that I wish you had brought up more is the fact that I, I didn't hear you talking much about the fact that Josh Allen went to an AFC championship this season when Lamar went out early in, in the playoffs. I, you didn't bring that up. Josh, There were that. a lot of points to bring up. I can't bring them all up. I feel like but that's that's when I feel like you should hit on hard on. Me. He went to an AFC championship game. Lamar went out that year what? It was second round, or did they got the bye? Did they,
3: they the buy the and lost in their first I'm game? Like, yeah, I, I think... did kind of prove why it wasn't his fault,
0: but yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I'm, all, I'm going with, like it. You, I'm said, going you, with you made it. the better arguments. All right. This is uh <laughs> this is a little weird. This is future split. This is future Josh and Dom and Leo. Um <laughs> safe to say everything that you heard before prior uh was done a week ago. Uh this will be coming out. Uh, The Saturday we're doing this part right now. We honestly just all got really crazy with March Madness. I know Josh and me were running around down in Syracuse with how far they went in the tournament now. And uh, Dom is a busy man. So uh, you're now listening to a week week after everything you heard prior with the showdown. Uh, We're ending it with a tie. We'll have a tiebreaker later on uh, between these two after a very fiery debate. But in the week's time that's passed since we uh, cut that episode off last time, uh, a decent amount of stuff has happened football wise uh, and especially uh, just hours before we recorded this. Um, I, that's the big topic we're going to talk about here before we wrap this episode. Uh, so first off, I'll just lay off the groundwork for uh, the first trade here and we'll talk about the first trade. We'll start with the Dolphins moved down. Uh, they traded the number three overall pick to the San Francisco 49ers in exchange for uh their first round pick this year the Niners first round pick this year which is the 12th overall pick and uh, a fourth round pick this year and a 2023 and a 2024 first round pick so in total the Dolphins net two they get three first round picks for the price of one and a fourth round pick the Niners obviously move up very high into the draft which completely throws everyone's mock boards out of the loop before we even get to the second half of this trade. But uh, I just want to gauge your guys' reactions from the first half of this trade, because this is what broke first. Don, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of all this? What was going through your head when you saw that alert?
1: Well, I think that this is just another move for Miami to just build towards the future, adding more young talent. And of course, going with quantity over quality trading down from number three, and I think it signifies that the Jimmy Garoppolo era In San Francisco, if it isn't already come to an end, it is coming to an end soon because they did come out and say that Jimmy Garoppolo is still our quarterback. Then again, we've seen time and time again, especially earlier this offseason when the Rams said, Jared Goff is our quarterback and then traded him a couple weeks later. And then we've talked about Josh Rosen with the Cardinals. So we've seen this happen before. Uh, It's hard to put too much stance into it because – You want to take their word for it, but at the same time, they're just saying not to say it. But I think it's a good trade for both sides. It's pretty obvious the 49ers are going to draft a quarterback there at number three, and they said that they like any of the three guys that aren't Trevor Lawrence because they know that Lawrence is going number one. So uh, good move for Miami to get quantity over quality, and the 49ers are going to have a new quarterback at least by 2022, maybe 2021.
0: So I know Josh is going to focus more on the Miami side being uh, I, uh,
1: I do want to talk a little about the San Francisco I, I, side,
0: though. Okay, really quick, though. I want to throw a question at Dom, before I go to you really quick here, Dom. Um, I'm curious, you obviously... Obviously, GMs and ownership can come out and say, so-and-so is our quarterback going forward, and then just like you mentioned, throw it out the window. But I'm curious if you think this, this new sort of style of... Uh, or maybe actually it's the older style of quarterback drafting might be coming back into play, because uh, a lot of people, you know, Patrick Mahomes got brought into the league he sat a year and then obviously he's now one of probably the greatest quarterback in the league right now I'm curious if you think maybe that old style of drafting quarterbacks to sit them behind veterans or already prominent quarterbacks in systems to bring them out a year later do you think the 49ers might be doing that this year because of what they saw with Patrick Mahomes in 2018?
1: Yeah they could and that's why I said at least by 2022 because I'm very confident they're going to draft a quarterback and in fact I'd be shocked if a team moves up to number three a month before the draft and doesn't take a quarterback. Like I feel like that's not a bold take for me. And, you know, you've seen it go both ways. I think two of the best quarterbacks in the league right now, Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes had two different routes. It's Patrick Mahomes who sat behind Alex Smith for a year, and he's the best quarterback in the league. And then Deshaun Watson, top four quarterback in the league, he sat for the first half of week one, and then the Texans said, okay, um, you're our best guy. Go. And it's been successful either way. There's no right way to do it. And I feel like the 49ers are in a win now situation. And if they feel like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, or Trey Lance can help them win right now and cutting Jimmy Garoppolo saves them cap space for this team right now, then that's what they should do. So they could go both ways.
0: Yeah. Okay. Josh, obviously you've been sitting there patiently. Um, Go ahead. What do you, what are you been making of all this? Cause I know I was sitting right next to you in a class trying to, figure out what the heck you were freaking out over with your phone out so I'm curious what yeah, your that was
2: a, definitely an interesting way to find out all this was going on inside the AFC East outside the AFC East for a second I hate this for the Niners I think you look at what they've done in the past couple of years with Jimmy Garoppolo, including making that Super Bowl against Kansas City obviously falling short but having a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter and just giving up on this guy. I mean, you look at the record that they had with with Jimmy Garoppolo and without Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it was like 22 and seven or something like that for games that Jimmy was starting in and sub 500 when he wasn't starting. Obviously there's other things that go into play with that. It's they spend more time working with Jimmy Garoppolo than whatever backup in CJ Beathard or Nick Mullins or whoever. But I mean, those numbers speak for itself. They're winning games with Garoppolo. They're not winning games without Garoppolo. Clearly he's making a difference. I don't think you mortgage the future this much when you already have a great young core to go out and get a quarterback like this. I think you already have a solid quarterback build around him. And if you're going to give up three first round picks, just give up a fourth and get to Sean Watson. Like that doesn't really make
0: sense to me. Well, that's that's the thing i mean i knew we were going to get this at some point but i'll bring it up now and also i do
2: need to say while we're on the grapple subject though before we move into the watson it's a matter of time until grapple goes to new england it's really just a matter of time at this point
0: could be a reunion you see uh yeah um i'm certainly of the opinion you know i'm i have the eagles beanie on uh right now of i hate bringing in quarterback competition and yes it is a biased opinion but Look at where are my Eagles have standing now from two years even removed. Uh, I just don't think Jimmy G opens his phone and sees this, and no matter how many times John Lynch calls him and tells him, you're still our guy this year, in the back of his mind, it's going to affect his play that you know they're drafting a guy, number three overall, giving rid of a fortune of future capital picks to draft this guy. I mean, I just don't think he's going to perform the same level or I guess on the flip side, you could argue that he goes on a revenge tour, which sometimes happens, but I'm pretty sure the opposite was likely to happen here. So it's 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 interesting for me. Either way, the Niners will end up with a, a good quarterback by 2022, at least. Uh, but moving on, we'll move to the Dolphins side really quickly. Dolphins, like we mentioned, uh, stockpiling picks, they are just they can pick. I, I mean, they're like the Oklahoma city thunder of the NFL right now. They, they have picks for years on end uh, and they still retain a high pick in this year's draft. And I know Josh talked about it a lot. I'm just going to get out of the way before he says his little segment about what he thinks they'll do with those picks. Cause he's afraid of them doing it. Uh, a lot of things that's come to light that we didn't touch on last week that I want to make sure we touch on now is uh, Deshaun Watson has had a, a slew of Sexual assault allegations come out against him and I'm not saying any of them are true. I'm not saying any of them are false. No one knows yet. It isn't until proven guilty. That's how everything works. But I think that the, the re- with this circulating in the media, it might be why you might not see a Deshaun Watson trade now or maybe for a little bit until more info comes out. So I think that's what a lot of NFL teams are doing and waiting. But Josh, I know you think you're afraid of Watson still coming to the AFC East.
2: Yeah, I think they were already one of the favorites to land Deshaun Watson before this move. And now you stockpile a ton more picks. It just makes too much sense to see Deshaun Watson in Miami. I think that's a spot that has always kind of been talked about as a decent fit for Deshaun. That's a city where guys like to go play in. They have a good young team already with a bright young head coach. It feels like a perfect fit to me. I'm obviously hoping it doesn't happen because I don't want to see Deshaun in the AFC East. But I think that that's a match that makes perfect sense especially with all the picks that they're going to have they can make a Deshaun Watson deal and honestly not even be too impacted in their draft capital still have a somewhat normal amount of draft capital compared to the rest of the league for the next couple of years if you do swing a move for Deshaun Watson let's say they want to trade the sixth overall pick that they now got from Philadelphia a we'll get to that a little bit later but and then a first-round pick next year. A year after that, maybe you need to throw in a couple more to sweeten the deal. Maybe throw in Tua as well, and you're not missing too much there. You're still going to have a fairly normal draft. And to me, it's a no-brainer to go out and get to Sean Watson.
0: So yeah, you alluded to it. Uh, I want to move on to that now, Dom. I, I'm going to have you break this down because uh, I want to go into a little rant uh, after you break down the next piece of news here. Uh, not really a rant, just my thoughts. It's it's not a rant. It's not an evil evil Philly rant, but Dom. Can you break down what happened like 15 minutes after this first trade broke news?
1: Yeah. So basically the Miami dolphins traded back up to the number six spot, which was held by the Philadelphia Eagles. And in return, the Eagles got I'm trying to find, they got the 12th pick obviously. And, they got a first
2: round pick next year.
1: Yeah. And then a the first round pick in 2022. And is that it? I still haven't.
2: Uh, they, is it the Miami pick or the San Francisco pick?
0: So the the pick that the pick they're picking in this year's draft is the original San Francisco 49 Yes, the twelfth pick. Uh, yes, but I'm next year about in twenty two. Twenty two is the Dolphins pick. Okay. And they traded they traded a fourth and the sixth overall pick, but they got back this year the twelfth pick and a third. A third. Oh no, a fourth. Sorry, they traded okay. a. Th- okay, let me one more time. They traded the the Philadelphia Eagles trade the first sixth overall pick and a fifth round pick to get back the 12th overall pick this year, a fourth this year and a 2022 first pick. That's what went down. Uh, Yeah. So uh, I will take the time to go on a little spiel because uh, I, I know Hmm. a lot of people that I uh, work with uh, writing on Philadelphia news and are, we're in an extensive group chat. When it lit on fire with a lot of different fiery opinions, and I have one contrary to some of them. Um, I'm going to lay it out here. Uh, this, is, this is a good trade to me. Uh, it, it could even be great. It, right now, it's good. Um, the problem is Howie Roseman is the one drafting. That's the holdup for me. Howie Roseman obviously has a horrible track record of drafting and obviously makes questionable decisions. I don't like him as a GM. This helps me put him in better standings. Listen, here's the breakdown, Eagles fans. yes. You're not going to get a Jamar chase, a Kyle Pitts. It sucks that you're not going to have that flashy pick at number six overall, which you would have had for sure. Now that San Francisco had traded it high up that stinks, but here's the flip side. Obviously the Eagles are not going to be very good this year. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, especially in a division that got better all around them. Uh, so you now sit at number 12 overall where a likely candidate to fall is my wide receiver two from this draft Jalen Waddle uh, is is probably going to fall down, possibly going to fall down to twelve. Dom shaking his head. It's it's a likely thing, no matter how much you shake your head, Dom. Uh, so there was a scenario where we would already had to take Waddle six overall if Miami had taken Jamar Chase and the Falcons, who were rumored to have had interest in Kyle Pitts, had taken Kyle Pitts at five or four. Uh, you would have already maybe had to take Jalen Waddle at six. So now you're t- six picks back, and in twenty twenty two. If Carson Wentz plays 75% of his snaps with the Indianapolis Colts, the Philadelphia Eagles will hold three first round draft picks in 2022, which is franchise altering. That three draft picks is a crazy thing. You could do so much with that. So I am of the opinion that this is a good trade now. And if Howie gets a right pick at 12, it's a great trade uh, for the future. So I'm very, I'm actually very happy, skeptical, but happy with this trade overall. Josh.
2: Leo, what was the first thing I said to you when we were sitting in the middle of class and we saw this trade happen?
0: I, well, we were, we were, I I don't remember what the first thing you said was to me for this. First thing I said was, hey,
2: Leo, what quarterback do you like in the 2022 NFL draft?
0: Yes. So this is, this is the other varying opinion that Josh brought to my light is, uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't, that's what it's shaping
2: up to look like. If Jalen
0: Hurts doesn't play well in 2022 and, and you don't, you don't think he could be a franchise quarterback. There's no doubt in my mind that the Eagles could certainly turn around in 2022 and take a look at the quarterback class and pick someone. My problem with that, Josh, is the quarterback class of 2022 is is pretty weak. Um, I wouldn't say
2: it's weak. I think there are guys who certainly have some interest there. I think Sam Howell is definitely an interesting prospect to look at. Spencer Rattler could potentially declare for the NFL draft. Keaton Slovis could potentially declare as well. He's a really interesting prospect who I'm a big fan of. I think there are a lot of guys who – are definitely names to watch. You got to see what they do in this college football season, of course, but definitely a couple names to watch that I think could rise up to that elite prospect caliber. And I think the Eagles are sitting in a comfortable position where if they're not completely impressed with Jalen Hurts this season, which is something I've been very clear about is my expectation. I would be very interested to see who they're going to take at quarterback and think they're setting themselves up in a perfect position to go get one. And if not, and Jalen Hurts ends up playing really well, you got three first round picks to build around them.
0: Exactly. And uh, you potentially have a very good wide receiver that you already drafted the year before prior for him. So uh, it's not like they don't have capital this year either. The Eagles are stacked draft picks wise the next two years. I don't have an exact number for you, but it's, 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 it's a good situation. Uh, Dom, yeah, I- let me just read
2: this out. So we get full on the record recapping a while day to day. The 49ers get the third overall pick in 2021. The Dolphins get Philly's number six overall pick this year, Philly's fifth rounder this year, San Francisco's first and third rounders in 2022, and San Francisco's first rounder in 2023. The Eagles get San Francisco's 12th overall pick, Miami's fourth rounder this year, and Miami's first rounder next year.
0: Oh, wow. Look look at that. I'm going to be rooting against the Dolphins next year. That's great. Join the club. Well, I'm definitely, I mean, higher the pick. Um, Dom, I, I saw you shaking your head when I said Jalen Waddle at twelve. I'm assuming you believe he'll be gone off the board by twelve. I'm curious if you're if you're saying that. Who? Let's just let's just do this, Dom. Who do you think right now lands at all three of these swapped up picks? Like start with three, six, and twelve.
1: Tell me who you think lands in those spots.
0: If you had to, off the top of your head.
1: Well, I think the top four picks are going to be quarterbacks. I think that that's what we've come to, especially after today. I think someone else trades up to number two or well, the Jets trade Sam Darnold and then pick at number two, uh, pick a quarterback. And then at four, who who picks at four? Atlanta.
2: Atlanta. Uh, yeah. While we're on the subject of the Darnold-Wilson thing, though, I do want to say San Francisco had to have been on the phone with the Jets at two. If they didn't want to move out and get rid of that second pick from an offer like that with San Francisco, it's because they're taking Zach Wilson.
0: It's a fair argument.
1: They got to hope that he doesn't go at two is the hope. And but like I said, they from reports what I saw today is that they're confident in any three of the other guys that'll fall. Or they're at least confident in two of them, assuming that those two don't go. Anyways, uh well, I mean I I think that Waddle and Chase are certainly the two best NFL wide receiver caliber receivers. I think they'll definitely be gone by the time 12 comes around. And then I mean, if you can get Devonta Smith at 12 too, I don't think that's a bad pick, but I don't think he's going to be
0: there
1: either. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I wouldn't well, be surprised if all seven of the quarterbacks and then the top three wide receivers are gone by 12.
0: So, okay, so who do you think is at 12 that the Eagles would like? Because I don't think Micah Parsons makes it that far down. You probably get a – I guess you get a pick at the best cornerback. Patrick Sertan. Or the guy – I blank from his name. The Va- Who's the Va- tech kid? The nuts Va- Farley. Farley. Farley,
1: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, elites, mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure some of those guys like the Eagles are gonna get a good pick. I'm just not sure. I, I'm very confident. I think Waddle is better than Devonta Smith, and I think it's
2: I 100% agree. I clearly agree with that. I don't think Waddle's the best receiver
1: in this class, but that's a of discussion. I also agree with that. I do not uh, think that for the life of me, but I mean, Jamar Chase is really good. Like, these are three like elite wide receivers, and they're all gonna make an NFL team very happy. I'm just not sure that Waddle's going to make
0: it down on 12. Well, that's something I'm certainly going to be hoping for. Um, But yeah, that's, (laughs) yeah, as I should. Um, But that is, uh, I, I guess, so I'll make sure for Dolphins fans that are listening, we didn't really talk about that. So they're now at six and I imagine their options here are, they're basically going to be either taking chase like they would have at three, possibly maybe chase isn't there. They take Kyle Pitts, or I think if, Sewell falls to six because the Bengals, for some reason, don't decide to take him. Uh, they'll jump at Sewell, uh, but I think it's probably going to be Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts in a Miami Dolphins uniform. Uh, and I think, I, and now I think Pitts falls, uh, which is really interesting because you know he's obviously I think he's the most hyped up prospect of this class. If we're talking Don quarterbacks, uh, in my opinion, it, it's interesting to see you know, where, what teams might grab him? Because, uh, you know, you, you have now seven. The Detroit Lions probably won't grab him. TJ Hawkinson, uh, maybe they, if they want to do a two tight end set kind of deal, they have a new head coach maybe. Uh, Carolina Panthers at eight, they keep getting – they're not going to get a top four quarterback anymore now unless they trade up. Maybe they want Kyle Pitts. It's interesting. I think Kyle Pitts could definitely fall because of priority for teams. Um, I think if Kyle Pitts – Kyle Pitts
2: falls to the late top 10, 9, 10 range, you could see Bill Belichick package 15 with the second rounder and go get Kyle Pitts.
0: Are you, are you forgetting? They, they just they just signed the top No,
2: three. I'm not forgetting. I think he just wants to stack a million tight ends and thinks Kyle Pitts is insane. I, it I just, just feels like a New England thing to me. I don't I, know,
1: maybe I'm crazy.
0: That's a little crazy.
2: You got to remember, they
1: had Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski on the same team. Like,
0: but, but yes, but that's but that's that's the argument people used for, oh, they hired – they got Henry and Smith. If you bring in another one, it's, you're just going to decrease the playing time of all of them. It's going to – you don't need three good tight ends on a roster. I don't care. I do agree
2: you, with you, but right. you never know with that guy.
0: Okay. Well, anyways, uh, that is – that's basically it for all the news as of now when this – pod will go up, which will be the 26th. Um, Well, as funny as it is to say, we'll move to final thoughts. Um, Josh, we'll start with you. You have a lot of ground to cover for final thoughts. So go ahead and hit me with it.
2: Let's just take the easy one. I'm going to go on record right now and say it. I think Syracuse is going to the final four. I think they are put in a beautiful position to go on an even further run in this NCAA tournament. Of course, winning the first two games and beating San Diego State and West Virginia. But now I think they're in a really unique position in a region with three teams who play very slow tempo in Houston, Oregon State and Loyola Chicago that they're not going to be a lot of possessions in this game. And they say it takes teams a long time to get adjusted to playing against this zone. Well, you're not going to have as much time to get adjusted to the zone if you're playing less possessions. So I think that's a matchup that works really well for Syracuse, both against Houston and potentially in the Elite Eight, whoever they're going to play. So I think it's set up beautifully for Syracuse. I think they're going to advance to the final four.
0: All right. Wow. Final four for the Orange. Be crazy on this campus. Uh, Dom, the sad SDSU fan, uh, how are you doing? Final thoughts. What are you thinking?
1: That was rough. And uh, here's the one thing. Rutgers is second in the nation in offensive rebounding uh, percentage. And Syracuse is 340th in the nation out of 357 teams in defense of rebounding percentage. So it could get ugly on the glass, like really ugly on the glass. I think if series can limit that, I think they have a very good shot at winning. But anyways. God, it's this
0: um, countdown. What was what this? What does this turn into? Okay. Anyways, keep going. Now.
1: Anyways, um, my final thoughts is uh, it's about to be, I don't want to say uh, it, it's going to be crazy. These, these next couple of weeks leading up to the NFL draft. I, I want to be surprised if the jets move somewhere. I don't think they're going to be taking a non-quarterback. I think that either the Jets trade down or they trade Darnold. Uh, I think that something's going to be done there. And I think this is just the start. And who knows, the Falcons might decide that, hey, we, we want Mount Ryan for the next couple of years. And they, they trade down and get a pick for next year's draft that could help them land in a quarterback. Now, I mean, I don't know. At four, you're getting a pretty good quarterback anyways. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot more movement at the top of this NFL draft.
0: I'd also agree, team to look out for. Carolina Panthers might try something too, because I know they really wanted a quarterback. And they're not happy with Teddy Bridgewater. And right now they're not gonna get a quarterback that they like unless they take uh Mac Jones, Mac Jones at uh eighth overall, which is a reach Oof. and a half for me. So or Kyle Trask, but both those are reaches at number eight overall. So Kyle Trask Kyle Trask right. at eight is a reach. Mac Jones is also here today, but with that way, we, that's we'll save these debates as we get closer. We're still a month out. Uh, my final thoughts. I guess I'll just do it again here. Uh, NBA trade deadline was yesterday, and uh, so a couple teams added some cu- cool pieces, interesting pieces. Uh, the Sixers added a uh, veteran guard on the bench, um, but regardless, I think the NBA is shaping up. This is starting to get to the playoff race, uh, and. I'm still enjoying the NBA season and yes, the Knicks are still in the playoffs as Josh jumps around. The Knicks are one game above
2: 500. So the NBA regular season does matter right now. Just say.
0: Okay. Anyways, that is going to do it for a weird uh, split the seam episode 27. Uh, We will see you guys. We're going to have a quick turnaround because Thursday is opening day of MLB. So we'll be throwing a pot at you probably a day or two before the opening day covering all the MLB stuff. This is a football centric one. We'll do a baseball centric one for all you will cover the rest of the divisions and probably do something a little fun and spicy as we approach opening day. So this has been me, Leo, Dom, and Josh. See you guys next time.